בעזרת השם נעשה ונצליח שיעור תורה בפריבק. משנה that we started yesterday, בעזרת השם, משנה נאמבר 25, משנה נאמבר 25 in Uh, as we saw, there's a lot to talk about when you're reviewing yourself on Rosh Hashanah or before Rosh Hashanah. You're supposed to evaluate where have you been till now. Where have you been in the last year? Where have you been in the last 30 years? The, the key is to make sure that it's not too late before you ask yourself those questions. So, Bezot Hashem, we'll start with uh, part two today. Today's shiur will be for Refuah Shlema for Sarah Leah Batsara, Levana Batsara. Doris Bajora, David Ben Nesria, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, and all of Am Yisrael Bezot Hashem will have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Tanefesh, Refuah Taguf. So the Mishnah started to tell us the interesting study regiment that a typical Jew is supposed to have according to the Chachamim. And if it was a bunch of idiots that said, this is what you should do, then obviously none of us would even be talking about it today. Because who listens to these people? I remember when I was a kid in New York, there used to be this group of kids. Every night, till the middle of the night, they'd hang out in the corner. The corner of a street called Marymount. Marymount and Travis Avenue. Every night they'd hang out drinking beers, smoking cigarettes and other stuff. Every single night. Never a break. That was the hang. They wouldn't actually go anywhere. Anytime they actually went anywhere, it would be worse. Why? Because over there, they'd start fighting people and beat them up. And I don't think I've ever met people as vicious as these people that were actually um, among normal society, outside of the army. But... When these people would talk, even the dog would say, what are you talking about? Why? Because it's complete nonsense. What are you going to talk about? Every single day when you're 15, 16 years old, you had uh, virtually no education whatsoever. Whatever education was supposed to be given to you in public school was a complete waste of time anyway because you weren't paying attention anyway. You made fun of the teachers instead of listening to them. And you only passed the class simply because the teachers didn't want to see you again the next year. What can you possibly talk about? I remember talking to one of those kids on the bus and asked them a simple question. Asked them, how come you're always high? You would always be high on marijuana. Asked them, how come you're always high? Like all the time, like it's 7 o'clock in the morning, we're on the way to school. Why are you high? It's 7 a.m. I don't know if, if anybody ever has an excuse to, to do such stupid things. Even as a kid, you'd realize, okay, this is not something you do at 7 o'clock in the morning. You do it at 8 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I don't know. Go party. What are you doing at 15, 16, 17-year-old kids smoking marijuana at 6 a.m., 7 a.m.? You have nothing else to do in your life? Is your life that bad? And this kid, I think his name was Cheeto. Cheeto, Chiro, Cheetah, something. 
he answered me an answer that I would never forget in my life. It's been over 20-something years. It's been almost 30 years. It's been a long time. And I'll never forget this answer. He says, you know, I don't know what it's like to be normal. Because I'm more high than I'm not. So to me, to not be high feels weird. This is the education that your children get in public school at 15 and 16 years old. And this was considered a decent school. So, when the Chachamim of the Torah are giving us a map of what we're supposed to do, even though some of these things seem very hard. Quite frankly, you compare it to some of the education we got as kids, it seems virtually impossible. You teach a five-year-old to learn Chumash. You teach a ten-year-old Mishnayot. We don't know Mishnayot. We're 30. Abutai, the brain of a child is very, very different than a grown-up. And one of the greatest letters I've ever read in my life. Mamash, it was worth to be born. Just to read this letter I read today. Always happens that Hashem gives me special news when I'm about to see you guys. So, Bezad Hashem, we'll go over some more of the map of what Hashem Yitbarak gave us. And uh, get an understanding of what this map looks like. Because regardless of whether you're considering it for your kids, or if you're already old enough or your kids are all grown up, this is still for you. In your infancy stages of tshuva, in your early stages of conversion, this is not just for children. This is for grown-ups too. And we'll go over some of that as well. Uh, Of course, the Torah talks about, this is specifically mentioning it for, uh, for kids, and, you know, from 0 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and then obviously grown-ups, 20 to 30, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to learning the Chumash and learning the Mishnah of what the 5 and the 10-year-old are supposed to be doing, it's also referring to grown-ups that only realized what the Torah was once they got later on in their life. It's not that if you are uh, 30 years old, you're already going to start with Gemara. The reality is that if you have not become acclimated with the Chumash and have read it at least twice with commentary, you shouldn't touch Gemara. If, if you have not gone over the five books of Moses, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where to go. You don't know what right or left. So regardless of the fact that you're obligated to read the Chumash every week anyway, for that's Alakha Shulchan Aruch, says you have to read the parasha three times, twice you have to read the basic and then uh, the basic meaning and then once with commentary. Um, at the very least, you know, if someone that is just really starting out and that just is like a world of Torah for them, it's just too much for them, the very least that they can get away with and still know what's going on uh, for the time being is learning the weekly parasha with commentary once. Without learning the entire Chumash, the five books of Moses, with commentary at least a couple of times, you won't know right, you won't know left, you won't even know who Hashem was. All it will be is just simply your imagination. 
You know, people that say, oh, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, but they've never read the Chumash, and they don't read the Chumash on a regular basis, they love somebody else, and they call him Hashem also. Hashem just simply is not an actual name. Hashem literally means the name. So they love a different the name. That's all it means. Because God, the God of Israel, is not the God that you're going to meet just uh, walking around doing nothing. So, when a person is doing tshuva and he's first starting out, he has to understand that he has to treat himself. There's no embarrassment here. He has to treat himself like a brand new kid getting into the Torah life. Just like Rabbi Akiba was learning Aleph Bet, he has to learn Aleph Bet. But in today's world, it's more important because most people don't have uh, a wife that's willing to send them to yeshiva to learn 24 hours a day. So, we are not allowed to spend an extraordinary amount of time learning the Aleph Bet. And the reason why is because until we know Torah, the Aleph Bet is meaningless to us anyway. A lot of people have this fixation learning the Aleph Bet because they think that if you know the uh, Hebrew, then you know Torah. This is as far from the truth as can possibly be. There are plenty of people that know Hebrew and don't know any Torah. And there are plenty of people that know a lot of Torah but don't know Hebrew. The two are two completely different subjects. There was a person by name of Ben Yehuda who actually modernized Hebrew, the biblical language, and distorted it. But if you ask most Israelis, they're going to tell you he's the utmost expert in Hebrew language. The reality is, is that unless this Ben Yehuda kept Shabbat and kept mitzvot and kept everything, all the Hebrew that he knew is only going to get him to Gehenom, not to Gan Eden. Learning Hebrew doesn't get anybody to Gan Eden. Learning Hebrew it helps you develop Torah that you already have. But if you don't have Torah, it can't, it's not a tool that's going to be useful for you. So when you first start out, whether you're a Baal Tshuva or you're a convert, until you've become very, very comfortable with basic level Chumash, meaning you've read it at least a couple of times with commentary, basic level Alacha, meaning you know what to do every single day during the entire year, which includes all of the holidays. Basic level Shabbat, you know exactly all the 39 Melachot, you know what's going on, right, left, everything. You're not violating Shabbat with the obvious. You know basic level Judaism in so many words. And you've already studied Gemara and you finished several of the tractates, maybe 25 to 40% of the Gemara. Studying the Hebrew language as your main, uh, as your main uh, focus is simply a waste of time. It won't be relevant to you anyway. You won't be able to use it anyway. So you should know also, biblical Hebrew and the uh, Torah Hebrew and the uh, modern Hebrew are two different languages. They're the same letters, but they're two different languages. It's similar to Italian versus Spanish. They both use the same English alphabet or French. They use all of them use the same English alphabet to write themselves down, but they're completely different languages. Even though some of the words, especially numbers and things of that nature, are similar, it's not the same. Same thing with Hebrew, but to such an extent that sometimes the actual words mean the opposite. 
some of the Zionists hated the Torah so much that they made sure to create new words out of thin air purely to mean the opposite of what it actually means in the Torah. Because they wanted people to sin and therefore become weaker spiritually and therefore leave the religion ultimately. It's not a conspiracy, this is just part of their whole uh, purpose is for them to, was for them to do that. Now, a person that spent a lot of time learning Hebrew but doesn't spend enough time learning Torah is not making any mitzvah. It doesn't count as, as any mitzvah at all. There's no mitzvah in it whatsoever. In fact, it could actually be bitul Torah. It could be a sin. Why? Because you're obligated to learn Torah. You're not obligated to learn Hebrew. You should learn Hebrew at some point, but it should not be your main thing. Now, when it comes to, if you're going to actually pick what Hebrew to learn, if you ask me, I'd say you should learn Biblical Hebrew. And the reason why is because that's the one that can get you to Gan Eden. The modern Hebrew, not so much. It's useful if you live in, 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 uh, in Israel, but you can get by with Biblical Hebrew as well. What's the difference though? Well, biblical Hebrew, you can actually know every time that you read from the Torah, you read a pasuk, you're actually going to know what you're saying, how you're saying it, and you can build on top of pre-existing knowledge. Again, I emphasize, pre-existing knowledge. If you have pre-existing Torah knowledge, that knowledge of Hebrew is useful. If you don't have Torah knowledge, you haven't gone through the parashot at least a couple of times with commentary, you haven't gone through the Shulchan Aruch, or you haven't gone through the Gemara, you really don't know. All you really learn is maybe a hundred shiurim that you've learned. You learning Hebrew, you're simply wasting your time. You can do it if you want, but you're wasting your time. And the reason why is because you're not going, you're just, you have, let's say, an hour a day to study. You're spending half of it or the entire hour a day learning Hebrew instead of learning Torah. You're not, you're not using your time wisely. Now also when you learn Hebrew as far as the biblical language, it's much easier because there's less words. There are less words. There are less than 300 different words in the Torah. In the entire Torah. So if you learn not 300 different words, I'm sorry, three, uh, about 250 unique words. Where if once you learn these 250 unique words, pretty much you're going to be able to get by throughout the entire Torah. So in so many words, it's not impossible, uh, but it's not something that should be a priority in your life. Most people that use it as a priority in their life end up lagging in other places. Uh, because again, you, there's just so much time that a person has, and there's just so much mental capacity they have in the beginning anyway. If you have an hour a day, five hours a day, ten hours a day, you should spend more of that time becoming the best possible Jew that you can. Now, when it comes to the Sifre Chachamim, some of the books that we have today are Unbelievable. Because some of the books that we have today, we learned from, are from 2,000 years ago, 500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Imagine, someone wrote a book 2,500 years ago, and you're reading it today. Beautiful, black and white, you know, you have white paper, you have the uh, nice black, uh, beautiful print on it. But if you look at some of the books that the Chachamim have, they don't look like that. They actually have the old book, the 500-year-old book. Why don't they just get a brand new one? Because sometimes many of these books have gone out of print or have been lost. One of the big projects that Be'ezat Hashem has done over the last, uh, some time now, is uh, sp sponsor Talmidei Chachamim that write books. 
one of the things that we try to do is to bring out some of these books, either brand new books or books that are uh, coming out that haven't been published in a while. So, for example, Rabbi Ephraim, God bless him, just published a book earlier this year. And then uh, his father, Rav uh, Chaim, also published a book earlier just a few months ago. Uh, and then, if you haven't noticed in the uh, Alona Kodes from last week, there was another book that uh, was put together by uh, Rav Shlomo Bar Kochba. He's one of the Avrachim in the Kolel that uh, Rav Ephraim is in as well. Uh, Tzadik Tamim, Mamash, Kodesh Kodeshiv, this person. And uh, he didn't write his own book. What he did is he actually made a very big, big maaseh, very big schut, very big merit, where he actually, there's a book that was written about 250 years ago, but has already been out of print for over 100 years. And for the most part is, has been lost among the world. Only a few chachamim in the world had a copy of it. Most of them have been lost, burned through the pogroms, inquisitions, and so on and so forth. All the disasters that Amisa has had, Unfortunately, you've lost much of our Torah. So once in a while, there's a Chacham that takes, that finds a copy and puts it together. But again, remember, the, the writing of the old days was handwriting. Or even if it was print, it was really different handwriting, different fonts, different everything. They would minimize, you see sometimes the old books, you see that there's more on one page of an old book than there is sometimes in an entire chapter of a new book. So some of the writing is mamash tiny. You need a magnifying glass sometimes to, to, to read it. So he actually reprinted part three of a very important halacha book uh, called Priya Aretz. And Priya Aretz is a shelot v'tshuvot out of a uh, out of the Shulchan Aruch that was actually written by Rabbi Israel Meir Mizrahi. Now who is Rabbi Israel Meir Mizrahi? Rabbi Israel Meir Mizrahi was one of two brothers that were called Nerot Mizrahim, the candles of the West, of the East. And uh, why? Why, what's the, um, why were they both called these, uh, him and his brother? These two were Mamash holy of holies to such an extent that there's a rabbi that all of you have heard me talk about multiple times in, in lectures by name of the Chida. The Chida, any Sephardic Jew and most religious Jews know who he is. The Chida was a student. It was Rabbi Meir Mizrahi's student. So this gives us a little bit of an understanding of who we're dealing with. Now his book was called Priyaretz, or one of the, uh, one part of it, and he, we just published a uh, part three, part three of the book. He actually started, instead of starting with A and B, he started with C right away, because C, uh, the third part, was easier to put together than the first two, but Be'ezrat Hashem will continue there. But this book is specifically for Talmidei Chachamim. This is not for the average person. Even for a person that's really smart, it's not for them, unless it's a serious, serious Talmid Chacham. It's a very, very complicated book. Baruch Hashem, the first couple of hundred copies already have been printed, and Bezot Hashem, we're going to get some delivered here to the U.S. to give to some Avachim and Rabbanim in the U.S. Uh, for free, uh, once we get them, Bezot Hashem. But uh, the point is, Rabotai, is that any time something like this comes out to the world, it's like having a new baby. 
It's like bringing new light to the world. Even though it's Torah that existed in the world, sometimes the Torah that exists in the world hasn't been talked about, discussed, and virtually has been forgotten. For such a long time that when you bring it back to light, you see how the same old Torah is still relevant to this so-called new world that we live in today. So, one of the things that uh, Rav Bar Kochba actually wrote in his, uh, he was the guest rabbi in the Alona Kodesh last week, was a very fascinating midrash at the time of Shmuel, Shmuel Anavi. Shmuel Anavi, his mom was Chana, and uh, Chana cried about having a kid for many years. She never had a kid. And every day, she would cry hysterical at the Bet Mikdash. Now, one time, the, the Kohen Gadol saw her, Eliyah Kohen saw her, moving like this, crying hysterical, and she thought she's drunk. He thought she's drunk, because she's moving like this. And he uh, asked the Urim and Tumim, he asked the Urim and Tumim, is this woman, uh, what's, going, what's going on with her? And the Urim and Tumim lit four letters. Shin, Chaf, Resh, Hey. Shin, Ra, Chaf, Resh, Hey. Spell Shikora. Shikora means drunk. So he yelled at her. He says, Why are you drunk in the Bet Mikdash? And she told him, Drunk? I'm not drunk. You, you misunderstood the Urim and Tumim. She told him, Shnaviyah, she says, you misunderstood, you, Kohen Gadol, you misjudged me. You misunderstood your own Urim and Tumim. You didn't give me Kavzchut. It's not saying uh, Shikora. It's saying Kshera. What's Kshera? Kosher. Kosher woman. Why was she, you know, nodding back and forth? She was praying to Hashem, please give me a son. Please give me a son. And from her, we actually learn the Gemara Masechet Barachot that tells this whole story I just told you. It's from her we learn how to pray. When you see people that are standing Amida and they're moving back and forth, we actually learn it from Chana. Now she was crying hysterical to Hashem Barach to have a son. Now, throughout that entire generation, every day there was a bat call coming from Shemaim, a heavenly voice coming from Shemaim, saying that there's going to be a prophet coming to the world by the name of Shmuel. And this prophet is going to be like Moshe and Aaron. So every woman would cry to Hashem and pray to have a son. And every woman named their son Shmuel. Eventually, Chana had a son and she called him Shmuel. And he became Shmuel and Navi. So the Chachamim ask, but what about all the other Shmuels? What about all the other women? So what, it was just a wasted effort? All of them cried, all of them prayed, they wanted a son, they got a son, they called him Shmuel, because they wanted a Navi, they want someone holy. So what, they just lost out? And that's what the Chidush that Bar Kochba brings. Bar Kochba brings and he says, the Chidush is, not a single woman lost out. Why? Every single boy that was named Shmuel was a Navi. What do we learn from here? We learn from here, Rabotai, that Hashem pays cash. All we have to do is try. 
if we invest into our kids, into their education, into their discipline, into their Torah, into their life, into their future, you're guaranteed to get paid cash by Hashem. If you don't, you're also going to get paid, but just different, different uh, monetary system. Different monetary system. Now, the difficulty that a lot of people have is sometimes when we say that such and such is a rasha, such and such is no good, you're not allowed to listen to him, you're not allowed to learn from him, and so on and so forth. And people ask me these questions. How come you say it and other people don't say it? Isn't it Lashonara? Isn't it Mutsi Shemra? And we've talked about it many times, what's allowed and what's not allowed. But you should all know there's actually a pasuk in the Torah. There's a pasuk in the Torah that actually makes it a mitzvah to talk against Reshaim. And it's actually in the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 22. It's actually a poster we made some time ago, maybe a year ago. We made a poster out of it. It's a pasuk. It says, En shalom amar Adonai l'reshaim. There's no peace, said God, to the wicked. Meaning that even when the wicked want to go do tshuva, if they're wicked to such an extent that they did it on purpose, Hashem says, I don't want your tshuva. I have no interest. I have no interest in your tshuva. Not everybody has the merit to do tshuva. So, to talk against Reshaim, again, it all depends on what kind of rasha. There's sometimes a rasha that's accidental, he didn't really know. He didn't know that Hashem was really uh, makpid, very strict with his laws, because all he knew until now is that the biggest mitzvah in Judaism is to give tzedakah. All he knew now is that uh, the biggest thing is to uh, wear a, uh, a beard on his face. He didn't realize that uh, the beard without the uh, mitzvot is meaningless. So... He's confused. So he drove on Shabbat at Beknesset, or he cheated in his business, or he cheated on his wife, or he cheated on his uh, other things. Reality is he cheated this world and he thought that it's not so bad because I have a beard. I go to Beknesset. I go to Slichot. I do this. I do that. Sometimes a person is just ignorant. That kind of rasha, we pray for them to do tshuva. But sometimes it's a rasha that does it on purpose. Like this Yitzhak Shapiro in Machshimo calls himself a rabbi, but in reality he's a Christian missionary. Or these two clowns from a company called One for Israel, both of them. They have an unlimited budget. They just spent, I don't know how many millions of dollars to spread books of the New Testament and other her- uh, heresy all over Israel just in the last few weeks, to the point where people are complaining they already got multiple copies. Israelis are complaining. Jewish people are complaining. We already got multiple copies. What do we do with this? People are confused. People are weak. The guy believed in Hashem his whole life. One day, one time, somebody says, yeah, but you know, maybe you should believe in something else. You know what? Maybe I should believe in something else. Mamas, they have zero like Amut Shidra. No spine whatsoever. They've been connected to Hashem to think and thin all the time. One time somebody shows them something they don't understand. Oh, maybe I should become Muslim. Maybe I should become Chinese. Maybe I should become Christian. Maybe I should become atheist. What? That's it? Just throw away Hashem just like that? You don't double check? You don't double check anything? 
Unfortunately, the Satan has an unlimited budget, and he gives it to these Rishayim from one from Israel, to people like Yitzhak Shapiro, to this uh, other clown named Brown, uh, Charlie Brown, what's his name? Marco Brown, Marco, Marco? Michael Brown, Michael Brown, and other, other Rishayim and Rishayim in the world, and unfortunately, some of the most successful Christian missionaries in the world are Jews by birth. They're Jews by birth. Some of the most successful missionaries in the world are Jews by birth, unfortunately. And the reason why is what I told you guys the other day is that the Jewish neshama is very special. Whoever doesn't want to believe it simply doesn't know what it means to be a Jew. Or is not a Jew himself. A Jewish neshama, according to Avraham Avinu, has the potential to either reach the heavens or the dust. When Hashem Ibarach told Avraham Avinu that your descendants are going to be like the stars or like the dust below your feet. If he was referring to number, both are countless. The stars are an infinite amount and the... Uh, Dust under you is an infinite amount. So what did he mean? Why is Hashem comparing to Am Yisrael to both? The reason why is because he wasn't referring to number. In fact, the Torah later on in the book of Deuteronomy specifically tells us that there's not that many Jews in the world. He didn't pick us because there's many of us. What Hashem was trying to teach us through Avraham Avinu, that a Jew, when he complies with Torah, he has the potential to reach the heavens. He can be greater than any other creation in the world. But when he doesn't want to fulfill the will of Hashem, he's worse than the Nazis. Again, so people get really disturbed. When a Jew follows the Torah, he can be greater than any person that ever lived on earth. Pick one, he's greater than him. When he doesn't comply with the Torah, he can be worse than Hitler himself, Haman and Paro put together. To either supercharged to the good or the bad. There's one tzaddikah sends me a mail and she told me I made a really big sin. Initially I gave a kafzchut, I thought that it wasn't really such a big sin, so I just didn't even ask. Later on she explained what the sin was in a different mail, in a different uh, message. And she's right, it was a huge sin. Why do I call her tzaddikah then? I don't just throw the name Tzaddik for no reason. Not one of these Rashaim that just calls everybody Tzaddik just to give Tzedakah money. Why am I calling this woman Tzaddikah? Because she told me what happened after she realized the significance of the sin from watching a shiur last night and the night before. And she said she cried hysterically. She cried herself to sleep. Realizing how horrible her situation is. Realizing that the, the, the Ruach that's in our house... The strange being that's in our house is coming from that sin. And she finally knows what to do. But she's so scared. Is Hashem going to accept my tshuva? The answer is yes. The answer is if you cry your, your eyes out to Hashem and you really mean it, that you're sorry, then Hashem will accept your tshuva. No, no questions asked. But that means it has to be a serious tshuva. That means not only are you not allowed to sin ever again to such a horrible sin. But more importantly, you have to make sure that you put a fence around the fence. For a woman, modesty is the fence around the fence. 
typically a modest woman is not going to sin such sins, even though this is sometimes a lie, because she's modest on the exterior, but not modest on the interior. Like this Reshaid from Australia, that was a principal in a, uh, in a religious girls' school, that after she was uh, caught, she claimed that she was insane. So they took her to a insane asylum. They took her to a crazy hospital. But they didn't, not everybody bought the story. How does somebody insane sexually harass 74 little girls? Now if you look at her from the exterior, she had the Kisui Rosh according to the Rambam. You know what according to the Rambam is? Kisui Rosh according to the Rambam, if anybody wants to know, is two Kisui Rosh. It's the regular Kisui Rosh of the Mitpacha, and then they put a hat on top of it. Just Chash V'Shalom, make sure nothing shows. Not even the shape of anything. That's how she looked like. But she molested 74 little baby girls. Now because of the stupidity of our people in that area of the world, they tried to hide the crime. Because this was going on for a while. You don't do this over a week. This is something that's been going on for a long time. This is something that's been going on for a long time. But they tried to hide it and hide it and hide it and eventually Baruch Hashem it got exposed as the Mishnah Perkei Avot says someone that's mechalel Shem Hashem Beseter someone that desecrates Hashem's name in secret the onish the, the punishment is for Hashem to expose them to the public. And we read this about six months ago or so. And Baruch Hashem did ha- this happened she was exposed but then she claimed to be crazy. And she went to Israel but then, a few smart people wanted to investigate this. This Rashait Nerushait. May Hashem give her a very slow and painful death for touching little precious girls of Am Yisrael. And there's no mercy for such people. You're not allowed to have mercy for such people. It's actually a pasuk. It's in Teilim, it's in Proverbs, it's in the Gemara. It's all over the Torah. You're not allowed to have mercy for such people. Not allowed to have mercy for such people. The Mesilat Yesharim uses the Midrash, Tanchuma, Parashat Metzora. The Mesilat Yesharim, the Ramchal says, someone that is merciful on people that are vicious, eventually they'll be vicious on people that are merciful. We are not allowed to be merciful on Reshaim. We're not allowed. We're not even allowed to be merciful on ignorant people if they're ignorant by choice. As the Gemara Maseret Brachot, page 33a says, and also the Mesliyat Yesharim repeats it as well, Kol mi she'en boda'a asu le'rachem alav. Someone doesn't have the someone doesn't have anything in his head, not allowed to be merciful on him. Why? He chose not to have anything in his head. He chose, the only information in his head is he knows how to build an engine for a car. He knows how to fix the oil. He knows how to go on a bus. He knows how to fix a tire. How come he doesn't know how to say Kriyat How come? 
He chose. He chose not to. Now it's not saying to go beat him up. No one's saying to go beat him up or yell at him or make fun of him. But don't say no. But Chaval Miskin, he doesn't know. So maybe he's going to get Gan Eden anyway. No, there's no Gan Eden for Reshaim. I'm sorry. There's no free lunch. There's no free lunch. He chose. He has to pay the bill. Just like if you choose a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad job or a bad anything, you have to pay the bill. So Baruch Hashem, someone sent someone to this crazy hospital as a private investigator, but uh, as undercover, undercover investigator, pretended to be crazy also, and befriended this evil monster of a woman. And Baruch Hashem uncovered that she's been lying to everybody all along, and now Baruch Hashem, it's under, it's last week the story came out, that uh, they're trying to uh, extradite her. And Israel agrees, and they're trying to comply with all the laws to extradite her, to send her to the rotten jail in Australia for the rest of her life, where she suffers, at least in this world, for a little while, before Hashem takes her and makes her suffer for eternally. Someone that takes advantage of little kids is not just evil. It's not just a bad thing to do. It's just the root, the core, the source of that person is evil. There's no tshuva for such things. Such a person is mamash a shed. It's a, it's a shindalit. Cannot be a human being. To hide their crimes, these teachers and principals, male or female, and sex offenders and pedophiles to hide their crime, not only is enabling the vicious person, the evil Haman, the evil Hizevil, to continue their crimes, but it's actually making the people that are hiding it partners in the crime 100,000%. And that is why the Gemara in Masechet uh, Rosh Hashanah, page 16, says that all of us on Rosh Hashanah are like Bnei Merun. How? We are getting checked one after another, one after another, as I told you guys on Sunday. Why one after another? Because the guy in the back, he gets the punishment and the judgment of all the people in front of him. Why? He's connected to it somehow. He's connected to it somehow. He didn't rape the girl. He didn't rape the boy. But he didn't say anything when he saw it. Lo chiach. Oh, you didn't say anything? Why, you wanted to be friends with them? You wanted to back your boy up? Okay. Hashem will make sure he'll back your boy up also. You too will have the same villa in Geinom. You're not allowed to assist people. They're not allowed to assist terrorists. These are spiritual terrorists that are giving the Torah a bad name. But they're also ruining these precious souls forever. There's no way that a child will ever grow up normal when he goes up into such a traumatizing experience. Now already having, uh, you know, people having growing up in, uh, in, in broken homes or growing up in one of the parents is in a jail or growing up one of the parents is secular and so that's already difficult enough. That's very difficult for some people to ever overcome. But once a kid that's touched and violated by someone that they trusted because this is supposed to be an authority figure with a kippah, with a mitpachat, and you hit it, you're worse than them. The communities must scream out. Scream out against these people once and for all. Save the kids. 
Because the kids are growing up and like, yeah, I hate God. Why do you hate God? What did God do, do to you? Oh, he let my teacher rape me. What do you mean? We, who, what are you talking about? Who, what? And you find out these kids, miskinim, poor kids. How come, did it, how come you didn't tell anyone? I did tell someone. Who'd you tell? I told my parents. Oh, so what? How come they didn't do anything? They're afraid of the local rabbi. Shiamuta rabbi azeh. Rabbi, what rabbi is this? Hiding terrorists? Go to the cops. For such things, you have to go to the cops if the, if the community doesn't do anything. Now yes, you should go to the rabbis, the local rabbis, right away to try to do something about it uh, within, without uh, killing the person, giving them a death penalty, but punish them according to the Torah. But for such things, there's really little that we can do that's not going to get somebody else arrested forever. You're practically forced to go to the cops. And if they're hiding it, <coughs> this is not a community you want to grow up in. So what do we learn from all this, Rabotai? There's really one main thing that we learn, we've learned many times. En shalom, Hashem reshaim. First of all, there's no mitzvah of saying shalom to reshaim. There's no mitzvah of saying shalom to people that are wicked. There's no mitzvah of, of making peace with them. That's number one. You're not a tzaddik if you call your friend a, a, a tzaddik and he's really a rasha. In fact, the Gemara says you're a rasha for doing it. You're not allowed to call him a tzaddik. Nitchanif. Nitchanif is to kiss up. You're not allowed to kiss up the rashaim. It's a sin. That's number one. Number two, which is even more meaningful and more relevant to our shiu is that today, people are so sick mentally and emotionally in their minds, it's full, so full of tum'ah, so full of garbage that they've learned and consumed from movies, from internet videos, from their friends, from all of the things they learned throughout their entire life, that at this stage, Rabotai, you cannot trust anyone, with or without a beard, with or without a mitpachat, Modest, immodest. It's all irrelevant. You can't even trust your own family when it comes to your little kids. Always, always double check everything. Always make sure you teach your kids to speak up. If you have one of these kids that's very shy, you have to make sure to have a lot of patience with him or her to make sure that if something looks weird or something is odd, get the information out of them in a very nice, polite, patient way. Why? Because that kid is so ashamed of what just happened sometimes. Shem can live with it and only tell you when he's 20 years old and completely messed up out of his mind. It's too late already at that point. So you have to be ultra, ultra careful with your kids. You have to communicate with them. You have to ask them. And in general, you should also follow Allah. You're not allowed to leave your kids with just anybody. You're not allowed to leave your kids with just strangers. Even school, the parent-teacher, don't wait for the every six months parent-teacher. Show up at the school, unannounced. See what's going on, see what they're teaching. See where your kid is. Show up, just see what's, what's going on. Why? Who knows? I'm not saying everybody's a criminal. I'm saying you can't trust anyone. That's what I'm saying. Why? Because I don't want to find out too late. I don't want to find out too late. And stories like this about little kids, they break my heart. I cry when I hear them. 
just, it's like, how do you touch a little kid? How do you do anything to a little kid? It's just, it's unbelievable to me. And then when it comes from the religious world, it just kills me. But this is story after story after story. And unfortunately, these stories are something that the communities hide for years. The Christian community, the Catholic community, the Jewish community, the secular community, everybody hides it. Why? We're ashamed. Of what? You should be ashamed of yourself for hiding it. It's time to speak up. We have to, the kid is relying on us to protect them. At least we need to do is to do that job. Now, the Mishnah tells us that under normal conditions, So up to now, we got to 13 years old. Yehuda ben Tema says, five-year-old begins to read scripture, the five books of Moses. A 10-year-old begins to read Mishnah, meaning that at this point, at 10 years old, he's reading both the Mishnah and the five books of Moses. He never ever stops reading the five books of Moses. He never stops reading the Chumash. He's just adding the Mishnah to it, and now it's a uh, the Chumash is secondary. Even though we don't hold by the exact pattern of what the Chachamim uh, said here in this Mishnah to this day, we, we, you know the Yeshiva today have a slightly different uh, way of teaching. The point is still very much relevant. The point is is very much what's expected, and very much what we should shoot for at the very least. And then we got to 13 years old. 13 years old is when a young boy takes on the mitzvot. Where according to Allah, the boy is considered a man, if for better or for worse. He's commanded to fulfill all the mitzvot. Now, at 15 years old, the Mishnah says, Ben Gemara. 15 years old begins to study Gemara. So the first question is, what is Gemara? The simple meaning is that the first part of the oral Torah that came out was the Mishnah. There were actually some Midrashim that came out even before the Mishnah. The Gemara in Masechet Megillah says that Yonatan ben Uziel wrote some Midrashim, wrote some commentary on uh, the Nevi'im, on the Prophets. And a but call, a heavenly voice came out of the Shamaim and said, who uncovered the secrets of heaven to men, of flesh and blood? And Yonatan ben Uziel, who when he would study Torah, there would be a pillar of fire that reached the heaven from him, similar to like a korban. Said to the Hashemit Baal, says, it was me, and it wasn't for my honor, and it wasn't for my father's honor, it was only for you, Hashemit Baal. And I want to continue uncovering the rest of the secrets in the Ketuvim, in the writings. Psalms, Proverbs, and so on. 
And after there was an earthquake that shook all of the land of Eretz Yisrael, Parsa, much bigger than Eretz Yisrael. It was a huge earthquake. The heavenly voice said, No, you've already done enough. So the Chachamim asked, How come uh, Hashem didn't want to put more commentary on the rest of the Tanakh? And the Chachamim answered in the Gemara, and they say, It's because Yonatan ben Uziel had the secrets of when exactly Mashiach would come. And that is in the writings. And if you would have writ, if you would have written that commentary, we would have known exactly when Mashiach was going to come, and Hashem did not want Mashiach, the people to know when Mashiach was going to come. Even when Yaakov Avinu tried to tell his children before he died, let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of days, the Pasuk says. Hashem took away his nevoah, he took away his prophecy. He wasn't able to tell them what, when Mashiach was going to come. Because Hashem does not want us to know when Mashiach is going to come exactly. Because that way, if we know, our Yetzirah is going to tell us, oh, if Mashiach is going to come in three years, okay, do Tshuva in two years from now. And this is also why we don't live like the generation of Noach. Before Noach, if you notice, the, the, uh, the age of each one of the people that lived at the time of Noach, 600, 800, 900, 1,000, 1,200 the youngest one was died at 368. Youngster. Youngster died at 300. So the Torah says, uh, why? How come? How come, how come a, uh, Hashem doesn't allow us? Hashem says that the Torah and everybody has to live till maximum 120. And in reality, a full life is considered 70 years. David Melech says a full life is considered 70 years. Why? says, because in those days they knew they're all going to live 600, 700, 800, 900 years. They said, oh, listen, I'm still young. My dad, he died at 1,200. I'm only 900. So I'll do tshuva at 11. 1,100, not 11, uh, 11 years old. Didn't Methuselah live the longest life? He lived to 969. No, it's always, always more than 1,200. More than 1,200 is the oldest age. So and there's actually somebody that lived even longer than that. But uh, there's a uh, Og Melech Abashan lived almost two thousand years. Wow. Yeah. So, but the age started going much lower because I think the flood uh, caused deterioration of age as well. Okay, that's what I just said. After that, it's not the flood itself; it's Hashem Baruch decided that He's not going to let people live that long. So now, even though Yonatan ben Uziel was the first one to write the Oral Torah, the Oral Torah. 
was, you know, is written in the name of Yehuda, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, Rabbi Akadosh. That's the Mishnah. But Rabbi Akadosh was called Kadosh because he never even looked at his bleat. He never looked at anything below his belt. That's what he said. Why is he called Kadosh? Rabbi Akadosh. Anyone called Kadosh is special. Why Kadosh? He never looked. Forget touch. He never looked at his bleat. Which, by the way, is one of the ways that anyone that wants to watch their bleat, it's one of the secrets of how you can actually get over that desire. If you're already addicted to it or someone you know is addicted to it, the number one thing they need to start learning how to do aside from watching their eyes in the street is not to look at their own bleat. It's much easier not to look at it than not to touch because people are used to doing things in their privates and so on. It's very hard to get used to that second part when you're already grown up. But to not look at it is not impossible. It's not impossible and it's highly, highly recommended. As strange as this sounds to all of you men, this is a big secret that I know is tried. It works. So now... Rabbi Akadosh never looked at his bleat. He didn't have the problem that we have in this generation, Baruch Hashem. That's why he's called Rabbi Akadosh. And Rabbi Akadosh, he put together the Mishnah. Because he knew that if he doesn't put together the Mishnah, there's not going to be anything left. People are going to forget, people are going to lose it. But then as the generations continued, a few generations later, they weren't able to understand the Mishnah. Because he minimized the words, like we minimized, like Hashem Barach, Le'avdil, like Hashem Yisbach minimized the words in the Torah. He didn't write all of the meanings of what he actually says. He just wrote ten words. And you're supposed to get enough information for eternity from those ten words. So, they already started seeing themselves deteriorate. They said, okay, Ravashi, we have to write something to explain how he got to this. What does this Mishnah actually mean? And from there was born the Gemara. The Gemara explains what the Mishnah in essence is saying. How they arrived, why, who, what, when, where. Plus there's obviously other stories on top of it. Some of the uh, Gemarot have more stories than others of the historical lessons, historical uh, history of the actual uh, people. And within the Gemara, the Chachamim explained, I believe it was the Chafetz Chaim that actually said it, but I may not, don't quote me on the name. He says that Sipure Tzadikim is like Maaseh Merkava. The stories of the Tzadikim in the Gemara or even in our generations now, you read some of the bios of the Tzadikim that just passed. He says it's like Maaseh Merkava. It's like the tales of the uh, mystical and the supernatural. Why is, it, why is it supernatural? He says because once you see the significance of the Tzadikim, even the ones that just died five years ago, the ones that are 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1500 years ago, it doesn't make a difference. You see some of their stories, you see their glory, how amazing people they were, like just how smart they were, how beautiful they were, how extraordinary they were. Like, if they're that amazing, just imagine how amazing their Father in Heaven is. It's very important for a person to add Sipuret Sadikim to his Onik Shabbat. On Shabbat, it's critical to learn Torah. But if you're married, to learn Gemara with your wife is not exactly fun. 
Number one, most wives are not really not really into it. Most women are not really into it, unless they are already into it. So most are not. Two, it's very difficult to learn Gemara when you have 15 kids screaming all over the place. The kids, their friends, and their friends' friends. But to learn Sipuret Tzadikim, to read a bio of one of the Tzadikim, of Rav Wasserman, the Chafetz Chaim, Baal Shem Tov, Rav Uvadia, and so on and so forth, the list, Baruch Hashem, Am Yisrael, has endless Tzadikim. You read these, these stories, things that happened a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, a hundred years ago, whenever it was, it helps you, it helps you enjoy your Shabbat. It helps you enjoy your Shabbat. It helps you enjoy your marriage too. Why? Because your wife gets on the same page as you. Like, oh, so that's why he learns Gemara at six o'clock in the morning. He wants to be like this tzaddik. I want him to be like this tzaddik. She starts rooting for you. Go, you be a tzaddik. Yes, what do you need? Ma? White Honda is mine. Oh. So, the Sipuret Tzadikim, the bios of the Tzadikim, is something that you should definitely add to your reading list. If you want recommendations, I'm more than happy to provide them. Uh, but uh, if you just learn what, how these Tzadikim lived, it's unbelievable. So part of the Gemara is the secrets of what happened. What does this Mishnah mean? How they arrived at this law? What's the two sides? They argue back and forth. Before I uh, got a brain from Hashem, I thought that the Gemara is just a bunch of rabbis arguing. Now it was only half right. Why? Yes, they are arguing the whole time. But I thought it's bad arguing. I thought it's arguing like I argue. Like you argue, like everybody else argues. Oh, I hate you, you hate me, everybody hates each other. I didn't realize the Gemara, they're, they're, they're arguing for the sake of Hashem. They're arguing because they love each other. They're arguing because they're trying to get to the truth. I thought it was just a bunch of people that disagree with each other. Just because. He's from Tripoli, he's from Morocco, he's Litvish, he's Hasidish, he's Chabad, he's uh, Breslev, everybody hates each other. No, it's Shtuyot. People think that are retarded like I used to be. When they're arguing the Gemara, they're arguing for the emet, the only thing that counts in this world. You don't have the emet, you have nothing. Imagine, you live 70, 80 years, you realize two seconds before you die, your whole life was a lie. What a nightmare. A person goes up to Shemaim and says, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, 80 years, I'm sorry. What sorry? What do you think the sorry is going to do here? Should have said sorry thirty years ago. Sorry, Alik. So the Gemara is supposed to tell us how they got to it. So what's the Talmud? The Talmud, the original name, came from the fact that when the Chachamim combined both of them, they took the Gemara, they took the Mishnah, and they put them together. Meaning, they give you the Mishnah to written on top, and then they tell the Gemara, "This is what we're referring to back and forth. You don't have to look at two different books." Number one, it would save money. Number two, it would make it easier for people to learn. But today, for better or for worse, because of our ignorance, most people, when they say Talmud, or they say Gemara, they're referring to the same thing. Somebody says, it's, this is in the Talmud, this is in the Gemara, they're referring to the same thing. Unless you're a Ben Torah, and you know the difference, 
Most people don't know the difference. Most people think Gemara and Talmud means the same thing. So, at 15 years old, the boy is supposed to start learning Gemara. The Tiferet Israel says that by that age, a boy has studied scripture, he studied Torah already for 10 years, from 5 to 15. He already studied the Chumash uh, uh, already for 10 years. And he studied the Mishnah for five years. So at this point, he should be familiar enough with the basics, with the fundamental basics of the Torah, to make the transition, to start going into the commentaries and the reasoning behind why it said what it said. Anyone have a Hyundai? Anyone have a Hyundai? Does anyone have a Hyundai? Wow. It's easier to build a car. See, Rabbi Mizrahi has much more schuyot than I do. Him, Yetzara, only comes as a fly. Me, it comes as cops. You see the difference? See the difference of 25 years versus 5 years? 25 years you do Kirov, Hashem sends you a little fly to annoy you once in a while. I went over there to New York two years ago, the fly was there. The fly was there. You see the lecture I was doing with Rabbi Mizrahi together? The fly is there. I told him the fly is right here. He stopped coming, by the way. He did Chuva, the fly. The tikkun. I think I was the last year, maybe. But uh, after me, he says, okay, I give up, I give up. I did that kind of suffering finished. But uh, me, I get cops. People go knock on doors, Shem Yerachem. See what happened? No, it's no schuyot. So the Tiferet Israel says that Rabotai Karim, when you're learning Gemara, you're learning Gemara, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know what you're doing. You can't just pick up Gemara. No, no, I'm going to read this. This sounds good. This sounds good. Now, the problem with learning Gemara, is that if you don't know what you're doing, you can get into more trouble than you started with. And if you're a child, and you're going through the yeshiva system, and you have a good yeshiva, you have a good teacher, you're in good hands. You have nothing to worry about. They're going to teach you who, what, when, how, how to read, what to read, teach you the language, Teach you why it says what it says, and so on and so forth. You're going to learn the basics. But if you're like the majority of Am Yisrael today, you didn't exactly go to yeshiva. You went to PS69 like me. You went to IS72. You wanted to be an NFL star, even though you were five foot nothing. You thought in your dreams that you could be an NFL player. And you only woke up when you're 30 years old, and all of a sudden, oh, I want to read Gemara. Is a Gemara is a Na'alayim. Start with the Chumash. You can't start with Gemara. Why? You don't know what you're doing. If you open a Gemara, you become secular in a week. Why? It's so high above you. It's so high above you that the level of Gemara is so high above you from the beginning. If you start it, you're going to become secular. You're not going to become religious. Why? It's discouraging. It's like, for example, overall, 
one thing that for whatever reason or another my parents taught me to always do math in my head. God bless him, my father, may he live many, many years, he always taught us to do math in our head. So ever since I was a little boy, I always did math in my head. Rarely ever used calculators. Big numbers, small numbers, always used, even if it took me a while, I trained myself to do math in my head. I remember one time I took this medicine and I had a side effect. And I started hallucinating throughout my nightmare seven years of, of, of fun that Hashem put me on that roller coaster. It was a lot of fun. So one of the medicines gave me a side effect and started hallucinating. Now once the hallucinations started coming down after 25 hours of fun, I didn't know if I was normal or not. So what did I do? I started forcing my wife to throw like big numbers at me and tell me to do multiplication. 357 times 12. 352 times 352. And I'd constantly, I'd torture her with this. Come, ask me more questions. Ask me more questions. She's like, why? Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I became stupid. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm still hallucinating. Because I, I was used to doing calculations in my head. And now all of a sudden I started seeing things and all types of stuff. I'm not used to that. I never did drugs in my life. Telling you some personal funny things. That's what I tell you. This is my life. I just Hashem put it in my head. I'm telling you. Apparently, he wanted me to make fun of myself. Maybe the cops go away. So anyway, so anyway, uh, ever since I was a little kid, I would always do calculations in my head. And I remember in high school, people found it interesting. How do you know? Well, you know, it's, this is just this was norm, normal for me. It's important for a person to do things in their head to train their brain to be sharper and sharper. So when I actually arrived at the Gemara the first time, I thought I knew what I was, what's going on. And then I started learning Gemara and I realized I don't know anything. It was very, very discouraging. Because I thought I was smart. I thought I was sharp. I thought everything. And I realized that it, in this subject, nothing. And I wanted to give up. So I'm telling you this from my own experience that if you start things that are above and beyond you too early, or you have a bad teacher, or you study the wrong way, it can have the negative impact on you to such an extent that it can cause you to literally want to leave everything. Not because you don't like it, but because you're ashamed of yourself. That you're so far behind, you're so far behind, you just heard some 15-year-old kid finish the shahs, and you don't even know how to get through the first page of, of Gemara Masechet Brachot. And the 15-year-old finished the shahs, the 16-year-old finished all shahs. You're looking at the shahs, it's as big as your house. This is where I have to get to. No, let me go back to work. I'll just finance the kids. I'll just pay for him. I'll just pay for the Torah. So you have to be very, very careful when it comes to learning. First off, this Mishnah is for everyone. In this generation, it's practically everyone. Unless you've gone through the yeshiva system, and not only you went through the yeshiva system, you went through the yeshiva system and you excelled. A lot of people went through the yeshiva system and they still don't know nothing. There's plenty of kids that are 25, 30 years old, they went through yeshiva and they don't know much. Why? Because there's school for them, it's a chore. They didn't exactly like it. So they coasted and they just passed the test. They didn't actually connect to a sham or anything. They finally started doing Shuvah at 30 years old. So if you excelled, you liked it and so on, it's a different story. But if you didn't, you have to go to 
basic one, two, three, four, five, like Rabbi Akiva at 40 years old. First, you have to become very comfortable with the Chumash. Commentary, know what's going on, me neged me, who's against who, when it says I, who's I, when it says he, who's he, who's it talking, who's talking? Is it Moshe? Is it Hashem? Is it Aaron? Is it Og? Who is talking? Somebody has to be talking. And it, the character changes. What's the meaning? Who, what, when? And don't try to become Rashi overnight. Read Rashi. Don't become Rashi. Right? Rashi did the job for you. 900 years ago. The students of the Arizal came to the Arizal with a giant book. They said, for the Rav, this is all the Kabbalistic secrets of the first parasha, within the first parasha, the first page. First page of the Tanakh, here are the secrets, Kabbalistic secrets. Darius said to them, people are not going to read this. People are not going to read this. Nobody's going to read this giant thing off one page. If you finish the whole Torah, the, 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 the book is going to be the size of a building. Nobody, you have to minimize it. You know how difficult it is to minimize it? Because no one's going to read it. So it's just going to sit on the shelf for a thousand years. No one's going to read it. So they went, they went, started working to, to, to minimizing it. I mean, to minimize something is not lowering from it. It's increasing the intellect. It's much more difficult to write wisdom in less words than in more words. And that's why today most books that are secular books, it's 700 pages that can be told in one page. But no one's going to pay $20 for one page. So they give you 700 pages of nonsense just to give you the point it takes one page. The whole story is one page. The whole information is one page. But they give it to you in 700 pages because that's the only way you're going to pay 20 bucks for it. Plus, they don't really know what they're talking about until they get to page 700 themselves. But anyway, the students of the Arizal minimize it and minimize it and minimize it. Half a book, quarter of a book, third of a book. Eventually, it minimizes it to literally just a couple of paragraphs. The Arizal looked at it. Ah, Baruch Hashem. You finally have arrived at Rashi. With all the Kabbalistic secrets you have of the Arizal. You finally arrived at what Rashi did 500 years before us. So people think Rashi is some guy. Just read his bio. Read his bio. See who he was. Anyway, you start with the Chumash. You start getting an understanding. Then you go to the Mishnayot. Get some understanding. Then you start going to Gemara. But when you go with the Gemara, it has to be a combination. You cannot just read Gemara by itself. You have to read commentary also there. You have to read Rashi's commentary. There's no Gemara without Rashi. Even for Tamit Chacham. One time uh, there was a guy that called himself a Mekubal. He came to Boca Raton where I used to live. I was uh, invited to some uh, rich guy's house. And this guy, this Mekubal, looked very weird to me. The way he acted, the way he dressed, very strange. I, I don't like people like that. Because I think most of them are fake. Automatically, I'm a very skeptical person. But I didn't say anything. I sat there quietly. And he had an assistant that looked like, uh, I don't know, he just came out of one of these movies, uh, machine guns and uh, commando or something. The guy was 300 pounds, half muscle, half something else. This is, ooh, walking around with people like this. It's kind of weird. I don't know. It just, it just, the whole scene was weird to me. I just sat there quietly. 
Everybody keeps saying, Kvodarav, Kvodarav, kissing his hand. The night before, he, uh, everybody came up to him to ask for brachot, and he pretended like he was giving them secrets. I didn't come. My wife and I were there. I didn't come. One of the guys from the Biknesset, really friendly guy, but a little bit pushy, pushed me, you know, pulled me to him. No, 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 get a blessing. Get a blessing. I don't want a blessing, please. I don't want a blessing. No blessing. He pulled me. He was right next to me. He goes, he looked at me. So it was kind of uncomfortable. He said, I don't want a blessing from the guy. So yeah, I, he goes, he looks at me. He goes, no, your wife is not going to have any problems having kids. You should be fine. My wife was eight months pregnant. The stupidity of men will cause him to sin against the Shem. And then he gets upset at him for punishing him. People look for shortcuts. Mekubalim. Anyway, why I tell you the story? Because this Mekubal, I was sitting over there, and he tells the Bala, his helper, this Gargamel guy, huge commando guy, Go, go get me the Gemara. Go get me the, uh, the Zohar, the Gemara, the something. He's like, okay, uh, which one? He goes, no, no, make sure it's the one with no commentary. No Rashi. The one with no Rashi. No commentary at all. I don't even think something like that exists, by the way. But he had to make sure to tell the guy, make sure it has no Rashi. No commentary at all. I don't need the commentary. First of all, if you don't need the commentary, why are you announcing it to the whole world, Mr. Mikubal? But I don't know, it sounded weird to me. And I was still relatively, like, kind of new. I asked my rabbi about this. I'm like, what does it mean, what does it mean when somebody says no commentary, no commentary? He says it only means he doesn't know how to read. That's what it means. He doesn't know anything. Nobody says no commentary. Even uh, the Gdolado doesn't say no commentary. Even if you don't want to read the commentary, what do you care if it's there on the page? Don't read it. Just a show-off. A lot of these people are show-offs. And unfortunately, a lot of these crooks, they travel from town to town looking for suckers. Because people don't want to do tshuva, they want to do a shortcut. So they find a guy that dresses in white or blue or green or some other weird uniform from Star Trek. And they ask him for a blessing. They ask him for uh, some miracle. They ask him for some water. He's asking him for money. They have money. He has nothing to say for them. And uh, good match. And they go home thinking of a Nagila. We have good. They don't realize they just brought Shedim to their house. Instead of Bachot, they brought Shedim. Many times they bring demons. People say to me, oh, how come, how come, how come I see these strange things? Who was in your house last week? So when a person is a real tzaddik, like this woman that I'm telling you, that made a big sin, he's going to cry about the sin, he's going to do tshuva, and he's going to stop doing it. That's the making of a tzaddik. That's the making of a tzaddika. But how do you put a fence around the fence? You put a fence around the fence by making sure that you never are close to that sin again. You make sure that now you're modest, now you don't put yourself in un- uncomfortable circumstances, now you have the right teachers, now you have the right friends. You start cutting out all of the unnecessary parts. The same applies in studying. 
When you're studying Torah, you have to decide who's the right teacher, who's the wrong teacher. What's emet, what's shekel. A lot of people fall off because they think that by having a little bit of shekel in their life, it's not so bad. So they continue to hang out with their old friends. They continue to hang out with their old buddies. They continue to listen to a rabbi that they know for sure is not kosher, but they like to hear his stories. Yeah, he motivates me. Yeah, he also hugs women that are not his wife in public. He's not a kosher person. You're not allowed to learn Torah from him. It says in the Torah. It says in the uh, Gemara, Moed Katan. Gemara Moed Katan says, page 17a, If your rabbi is like an angel of God, ask Torah from him. If not, then don't. If your rabbi is hugging women in public that are not his wife, or even if it is his wife, and it's in public, you're not allowed to learn Torah from him. If it's not his wife, it's Gilu'i Arayot. It's considered a sex crime, it's considered immorality, to such an extent of Areg Ve'al Yavo. All of these people that hug their, their, their female cousins and work buddies. Oh, I love you. Yeah, you're my best friend. Good luck with that. When it's the rabbi, it's also Chilul Hashem. Like when you see pictures of Goldberg, the Rasha from, from Boca, you see him a lot of times giving a nice hug to women from the Keilah. Or women from APAC. Sometimes they're Christians, sometimes they're Jewish, sometimes who knows... See, probably he's not ashamed about it. It's no shame. You see, uh, a lot of uh, rabbis like this today. These are not rabbis. These are rabbis. Ra. Emphasize the ra. So you have to be careful of who you learn from. If it is his, his wife. Sometimes you're going to see a, a, a rabbi very affectionate to his wife. It's not Gilu Arayot, but it's still not allowed according to the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says you're not allowed to show chiba. Chiba means affection to your wife in public. Not even to the extent you're not even allowed to hold her hand in public. Yes, I know you love your wife as much as I love mine, but the reality is you're not allowed to do it. You leave your affection to home. And the reality is that most people that show affection in public usually have no affection at home. It's just a show-off. Just a show-off. Now once you're at home, by the way, I can teach you something interesting. It's actually healthy for the children to see their mom and dad affectionate. Obviously within limits, hugging and a peck on the cheek, things like that. Not chas v'shalom, the gwaan nefesh that the other people. I'm talking about minimal affection. Affection literally, not... I have to explain these things, because who knows who's listening these days. It's not you, it's somebody else. I don't know, people say, Oh yeah, this rabbi said you're allowed to... They're going to put in my name. Yaron Uven said, new headline. So... It's actually healthy for kids to see their parents hugging and kissing, minimally, obviously, holding hands. It's actually healthy for them. Why? A few things. Number one, it shows them what Shlom Bayit looks like. 
Number two, it shows them that the parents love each other. So sometimes the daughter is more connected to the father. And sometimes the son is more connected to the mother. Sometimes there's something, even a little bit of a separation with the opposite. But if he sees, if the little boy sees that the mom loves them, the mom is his favorite. Mommy, mommy, all day mommy, mommy. But if he sees that mommy loves Abba, oh, maybe he's not so bad after all. He starts loving Abba. Why? If mommy loves Abba, I love Abba. If the little girl sees that Ima and Abba are happy, oh, I like Ima also. I like Ima also. Even though Ima yells at me all the time and Abba gives me candy, but Abba likes Ima, so I like Ima also. It's psychologically healthy for the kids. The public, on the other hand, it's 100% sin. Strangers, it's 100% sin. And it's So, these are small little intricate details. Am Yisrael has so many different beautiful rules that people think, oh, it's so difficult, it's so difficult. It's not so difficult. Look. Dal Sheikh HaKadosh said, what's more difficult? Going to Gan Eden or going to Genom? No, let's volunteer some answers. Get you guys involved. What's more difficult? Going to Gan Eden or going to Genom? Let's see. Genom. There's two options. Gan Eden, there's Genom. Which one you want? Gan Eden. You want Gan Eden. Which one's more difficult to get to? Gan Eden. Gan Eden. Next choice. Gan Eden. Which one's more difficult to go to? Gan Eden, Genom. Genom is more difficult. Okay, so we got both answers. Okay. So you, Baruch Shekivanta. Dalshech HaKadosh says, what's more difficult to get to? Genom is more difficult to get to. Why is it more difficult? Why is Genom more difficult to get to? I talk about Genom almost every year lately. But now I'm going to give you something good. Now I'm going to give you something you can sleep with. You're not going to have to lose sleep tonight. Why, why, why is Genom more difficult to get to? Dalshech HaKadosh says, you think it's, it's more difficult to go to Gan Eden? He says, no. He goes, look at the road to Gainom. The road to Gainom is full of lies, cheating, fighting, nightmares, arguing with everybody. So all day you're yelling at people. All day you're embarrassing people. All day you're stealing. It's tough to steal. It's tough to cheat. You're going to get caught or in jail, out of jail. The road to Gainom is a miserable life. Who wants such a life? Gan Eden, on the other hand, what are you going to do? You got to be honest with people, Baruch Hashem. Got to love people. Got to appreciate them. Don't have any ego. Connect to Hashem all day. How much easier it is? <laughs> don't we believe that the opposite is? Don't we believe that it's harder to actually be good or righteous than than, than wicked? There's more wicked people, no? You're missing the analogy. <laughs> So now, Rabotai Karim, at 15 years old, we learn Gemara, but sometimes people learn Gemara and they get more confused. So it's important to know you have to pick the right teacher. You're not allowed to learn from Rishayim. You're not allowed to learn from people that are wicked themselves. I'm not saying that you're going to find Moshe Rabbeinu in every Keilah, but the guy cannot be Haman. He has to at least try to be a little mini Moshe, a little decent human being. But if you know that he 
doesn't believe a single word that he's saying. He doesn't live a single word that he's saying. You can't learn from such a person. If he's going to start talking to you about halachot of Bet Knesset, but he's the biggest talker in Bet Knesset, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time learning from him. It's actually a sin to learn from such a person. So, first and foremost, you have to pick a right teacher. Second of all, always use a Gemara that has as much commentary as possible. Today, Baruch Hashem, Hashem had mercy on us, and He gave us art scroll. Art scroll, in my opinion, is a prerequisite to learn Gemara for 99% of people today, including people that go to Yeshiva. And the reason why is because most people... If they're not bikin, how to learn Gemara, if, they don't, if they're not already sharp and know what they're doing and know how to learn and they haven't actually learned for a long time, they will, more times than not, arrive at the wrong pshat. The pshat is the basic level meaning of what it says. Now if you learn Gemara without knowing what it's actually saying, the problem is that you will arrive at the wrong basic meaning, which means that everything that you'll build on top of that basic meaning, is always going to be wrong. And if it's right, it's only accidentally right. It's right for the wrong reasons. So, it's like, for example, if you have the first level of a cake, let's say you want to have one of these uh, five-foot cakes for wedding. But if the first level of the cake, the first layer of the cake, has mold in it, it doesn't matter that the rest of the cake is the most natural, beautiful fruit and vegetables, and whatever else you want to add to this fancy-schmancy cake of yours, it doesn't make a difference. The foundation is rotten. It has mold in it. So our scroll allows you to arrive at the correct pshat, more times than not, unless you just don't know how to read either. And that's the different issue. But the point is, at least you're going to arrive more times than not at the correct basic meaning, and then you can build whatever you want to build on top of it, as far as Hiroshima and so on. Now, most people want to study, they want to fast-forward things, they want to speed things up, they want to finish the whole shas, and they want to sleep at the same time. If you want to finish the shas, you have to give up sleep. You want to be a Talmit Chacham, you have to give up your physical desires of the world. You can't, I want to, I want to finish the shas, and I want to sleep. I want to finish the shas, and I want to have a wonderful uh, everything. The two don't go together. Rish Lakish says in the Gemara Masechet Bachot, I believe it's page 62b, says someone that wants Torah has to get used to Mesirut Nefesh. What's Mesirut Nefesh? Mesirut Nefesh is self-sacrifice. And we'll reach it in uh, the Avot in chapter 6. And probably about two months from now, two or three months from now, we'll reach what are the 48 different things that are required to earn Torah. But here we see that even if you have the right teacher and you have the right student, they both need siyata dishmaya to find each other. They both need a special assistance from heaven to find each other. Sometimes you have great teachers, terrible students. Great students, terrible teachers. For this, my friends, we have to pray. Pray a lot. Pray a lot for good teachers. Pray a lot that your kids will be good students. But the same Gemara that talks about what is the Talmud, what is this, what is this Talmud, is Gemara Baba Metziah, page 33a. In the same page, there's a lot of really interesting things. 
So first, actually, it says, who is your rabbi? And this is a Gemara that we've actually gone over in the past, but we'll go over it slightly. There's an argument in the Mishnah by Tzvi Chachamim. Rabbi Meir Baranes, Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yossi. And it says, who's, who's, who's the rabbi? How do you determine who your rabbi is? So Rabbi Meir says, the person who taught him, Chuchmah, wisdom. So Rashi says over here, what's wisdom? Wisdom is Gemara. Wisdom is Gemara. And the Gemara says, the one that taught him the Gemara, the Talmud, and not the one that taught him the Chumash or the Mishnah. Why? Because the one that taught him Gemara is teaching him the highest level of Torah. Highest level of Torah requires the most amount of work, most amount of sophistication, and so on and so forth. Rabbi Yudah says, no, you're wrong, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yudah says, no, it's not his rabbi. He says, oh, so who's the rabbi then? Who's, who's she called Kvodarav? Rabbi Yudah says, no, it's the one that taught him the most amount of information. He has, let's say, he has all of the information that he has, let's call it 10. Out of the 10, let's say he had three rabbis that taught him this total amount of 10. Who taught him the most out of the 10? One rabbi brought, you know, taught him five. Another one, taught him three, and the last one taught him two. So who is the rabbi? The one that taught him five, because he taught him the most, the majority of his knowledge. Rabbi Yossi says, no, you're both wrong. And I have a source. Rabbi Yossi says, you're both wrong, and I have a source. Who is this rabbi? Anyone that teaches him even a single mishnah. He should come for the rav. What's my source? David Melech. David Melech called Doega Adomi. Achitofel, his enemies. Kvodarav. Why? They taught him one thing. His enemies. Don't make a difference. Enemy, no enemy, shmenemy, doesn't make a difference. You taught me something in Torah? Kvodarav. From here we learn that rabbi means teacher. Anyone that teaches Torah is a rabbi. Now, of course, there are some rabbis that have a musmachim, that have a smicha. Some rabbis don't have a smicha. Some rabbis have a smicha because they need it. Some rabbis have a smicha because somebody told them to get it. If you can have a smicha because you needed to do chupayin kiddushim, or you need to check the uh, bida cloth of the uh, woman that doesn't know if, if the ketem, if the mark is a... Uh, makes a tmeah or not, or you need to do brit milah, or you need to be a shochet, a slaughterer, or you need to be a dayan, and so on and so forth. You need a smicha for all these things. But if you're going to be a rabbi that's going to give shurim, you don't necessarily need to have it. Some people that are teachers have smicha, some people don't have it. But when people ask you, you have smicha, you have smicha, most of the time anyone that asks you, you have smicha, they don't know what a smicha actually means. There is no smicha for teaching. 
like specifically meant for teaching. In fact, the whole smicha concept is something that was lost in the world for a couple of thousand years. It only started in recent generations. It's not like something that's been around since forever. It stopped for a long time because of what happened with the Goim, made a decree that anyone that gives the smicha gets death penalty and so on and so forth. And Amisa stopped doing it for almost 2,000 years, 1,500 years. And it only started recently. Why? To make the profession of being a rabbi more organized, not to, so not every joker calls themselves a rabbi, and people respect the rabbi. Part of it worked, part of it went against actually logic. But if someone is a real rabbi, if someone is a real teacher, what does it actually mean? This is actually a part of this same Gemara, same page, that most people don't want to teach. And the reason why is because it conflicts with the mind of the goyim, it conflicts with the mind of a secular person, which is not too different from the goyim, and it conflicts, conflicts with logic, like human logic that's absent of Torah. And it says the following, it's Mishnah. If a person finds his lost item and his father's lost item, meaning he lost something, but he found it, he saw, oh, both my father and I both lost a wallet. Each one of us lost a wallet. And he finds, he sees, they're both of them. Mishnah says, tending to his own lost item takes precedence over his father's item. Finding his own lost item is more important than finding his father's. Even though there's kibudavayim, you're supposed to honor your parents, according to Gemara, he has to protect himself first. But what about if there's a lost item and one of the lost item is his father's and one of the lost item is his rabbi? Even more so. What if there's two prisoners? One is his father and one is his rabbi. Who does he free? Why? You can say too. There's 50-50 chance. Oh, you said. You, you already know the shield then. You're not allowed. You're excluded from the shield. Oh, so you know the shield also. All of you watched it. Okay, very good. All of you want to know this. So what it actually says is that he has to save his father, his, uh, his rabbi first. Why? Because his father brought him to this world, but his rabbi brought him to the next world. But what about if his father is a Talmud Chacham? If his father is a Talmud Chacham, then he saves his father. So what do we learn from this? What is the deeper detail that maybe we thought, we, maybe we have to cover it again? What's the point here? What do we learn here really? We learn here really that if the father is not a Talmud Chacham, he's not worth the same value, the same price, as what Hashem meant when He says, honor your father and your mother. Because when Hashem wrote the Ten Commandments, and He said, honor your father and your mother, He assumed your father and your mother are going to be Bnei Torah, Bat Torah, Kodesh Kodeshim, not secular people that go to the beach on Shabbat. That's the problem that a lot of people don't like to face. Why? Because many people have a wonderful father and a wonderful mother that are not exactly tzaddikim. So what do you do? 
What you do, Rabotai, is you make them watch the shiur. You make them watch other shiurim so they become tzaddikim. At least start keeping mitzvot. At least start keeping something. You're not doing them a service by just saying I love you and not helping them do tshuva. The reality is that a person that learns Torah starts getting benefits in this world. It's not just the next world. But if the father is not keeping Torah and mitzvot, he has a serious, serious problem. And the reason why is because much of the advice that he's going to give his son or his daughter is going to be against the Torah. I have one situation that a father told his daughter that she should wear less clothes. And the poor little daughter asked me, Am I, do I have to honor my father and, and, and become immodest because he says that I should wear less clothes? Because I don't look like I come from his family. He says I'm disrespecting him by wearing long dresses. Poor little 16, 17 year old angel. He says my father told me to wear less clothes. Now my brothers, she tells me my brothers started yelling at her. Why are you making Abba so upset? Sick people in their mind. I told it's a sin to listen to your father. You're not allowed to listen to your father. Yeah, he's not considered Av and he's not considered M. When he tells you to go against the Torah, he's considered neither. He's considered a Rasha. That's all he's considered. You're not allowed to listen to Rashaim. Now, as hard as it is for us to admit, the reality is this is the reality. This is what Torah says. Now, All of these things are part of our holy Torah. As Hashem says to the prophet Jeremiah, He says, they left me and my Torah they, they, they didn't observe. We went over this a couple of weeks ago and I told you, that Hashem says that when a person goes against this Torah, he makes two sins. One is he abandons Hashem. Two, he doesn't follow the Torah. But Hashem mentioned it to the prophet Jeremiah twice. He says, they don't. They left me and they left my Torah. Why is Hashem mentioning both of them? It's obvious. If they're not following you, obviously they're not following the Torah. If they're not following the Torah, obviously they're not following you. He says, Alvai, they leave me and keep my Torah. But the reality is it's not possible. But if, if it was possible, let them at least keep Torah. Because at least the Torah is going to bring them back to me. Why? Because the Torah is going to give them a good life. If they follow the Torah, at least they're going to have a good life and they're going to have to say, there's no way I'm going to have such a good life and not say thank you. Now what kind of thank you does somebody say when they live a life of Torah? Now for anyone that has any kids or remembers themselves as a child, what did you do when you were eight years old? Other than pick your nose. What did you think about? What goes through an eight-year-old mind? Bimit. What goes through an eight-year-old mind? I just wanted to play sports. All day. You wanted to play sports. Okay, no. <laughs> Being honest, it's very good. No, no, no. More. He's the only one who wanted to play sports. The rest of you guys want to be Tzadikim? There's no embarrassment. You're eight years old. Where's the, where's the other copy? I want to 
You want to be like your father. Okay, no. Okay. Hey, this is a letter you guys can pass around. Anyone knows how to read Hebrew. Well, let me tell you what an eight-year-old girl by the name of Michal. May she live many, many years and teach B'not Israel everything she knows today. She's eight years old. Her uncle, who's nine years old, had a birthday. So she went into a store with a shekel, one shekel, it's like 30 cents in America, and she bought a card that said Mazaltov. But to give a card says Mazaltov, ah, you have to write something. Now Abba and Ima are busy. So she went into the room unassisted. No one helped her. No one told her what to write. The parents only found out after the fact. And this is what she wrote. I'm going to read it in English to translate to you guys for the sake of time. And this is a word for word. To Yosef, the boy's name. Mazal Tov and happy birthday. I hope that all of the blessings will come upon your head and may you merit to bring the Mashiach and in your merit may the Bet HaMikdash be built and may you find and marry a good Kala, the Tzadikah. May you become a big rabbi that will teach and learn with the masses, with the public at large. Amen and Mazal Tov. This is an eight-year-old girl. What does an eight-year-old public school kid think? I want to be LeBron James. I want to be a Transformer. I want to be a Power Ranger. I want to be a rock. I want to be a, a raccoon. What does an eight-year-old kid going to public, public school say and think? Does he think? Let's, let's just analyze this letter, Rabotai. Let's analyze this letter. Let's, this is not just such a sopa shoot for an eight-year-old to say such things. Think about what's being said here. First and foremost, acknowledge the fact that she doesn't say love Michal. She says Mazaltov. Already showing that the teaching of the parents about modesty began when she was already a little girl. Why? Because today, every little kid says, I love you to every stranger. I love you, I love you, I love you. You need to teach your kids, you can't say I love you to everyone. It's not cute to say I love you to boys. It's not cute to say I love you to strangers. There's nothing cute about it. Why? Because if you say it at 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 years old, you're going to also say it at 18 and 19 and 20 years old. The second thing is, look what she's, look what is in the mind of an eight-year-old religious Jewish girl, what's the priority in her life? She's wishing him well. She says, Mazal Tov, happy birthday. I hope that all of the blessings will come upon your head, meaning she knows where? From the Torah. She knows there's a lot of blessings in the Torah, all of them for you. What kid thinks like this that goes to public school? What kid thinks like this that doesn't have Torah Temet in their house? I hope you bring Mashiach. 
What kid cares about the Mashiach? People think the Transformers are Mashiach. People think that the Power Rangers and the superheroes. Abba, can you take me to see Spider-Man 19? He hasn't aged a day. The guy's been around for a hundred years. He's still a kid, 18 years old, delivering newspapers and climbing walls at the same time. Can you teach me to be Spider-Man? What kid cares about Mashiach? But she says, may you have the merit to bring Mashiach. Meaning she understands already at eight years old what a merit is. And what a merit is to bring Mashiach. When did we think, to us, grown-ups, may we have the merit to bring Mashiach? May in your merit the Bet HaMikdash built. Meaning she realized that these are two different events. This is not some illusionary kid imagining things. It's not a fairy tale. May the Bet HaMikdash be built in your merit. And then what she says, something that's extraordinary that a grown-up doesn't even think about. May you find and marry a good kala that's tzadikah. She doesn't say a beautiful one. She doesn't say a sexy one. She doesn't say long blonde hair and blue eyes that look she just came out of Sweden. She doesn't say anything like that. She doesn't describe a single physical trait. What does she say? A good and righteous one. Why? Because already at eight years old she understands that that's all that matters. That's all that matters. All of these people that are looking for Shiduchim, they're looking for Melech Hayofi and Malkat Hayofi, the king and, and queen of beauty, and they're not married still at 45 years old, it's your fault. It's not the, their fault. You're 40 years old, you want a few Shiduchim, you're still not married, it's your fault. It's not, not anybody else's fault. Don't blame God. God sent it to you, you said no thank you. Why? You watch too much garbage on the internet and you wanted your wife to look like the girl on the internet. That's the problem. You wanted the girl to look like the one in the internet and in the movies because you wanted to go to the movies. You wanted to see the girl in the movies. You wanted to see Wonder Woman. And then you wanted to marry Wonder Woman. And then when Wonder Woman didn't even look at you, you said, okay, let me marry Wonder Woman too. But you can't find her because Wonder Woman is not a religious Jew. So you're alone at 45 years old. But the eight-year-old knows... That all you need is a good kala. That's tzadikah. Why? Because in the Torah we learn that ava, love, is something you develop over time. Love is not something that exists at the time of marriage. There's something that looks like love at the time of marriage. But it's not love. Love is only something you develop and build over time. In the beginning, the vast majority of the feelings that you have is lust. Even if you want to call it love, as much as, until you're blue in the face. And may, then she says, okay, what kind of, I want him to be a, a big mandis, a big uh, architect of some kind, engineer maybe, uh, a, uh, maybe a Donald Trump president, maybe a football player. What does she say? May you become a big rabbi. But not just a big rabbi because maybe she wants a big rabbi because rabbi is big fame. No, no, no. May you be a big rabbi that will learn Torah and teach Torah to Rabin. 
What does it mean to Rabin, to the public? Go do Kiruv. May you teach the public at large. Why? Because in her house, her parents teach her the number one mitzvah in our generation, every generation before or after us. Go do Kiruv. That's what the eight-year-old wants. That's what the eight-year-old is teaching us today. And that's why Rabotai Achachmenu Zichonam Livracha teach us that the Mashiach is only going to come because of the merit of the children, not the merit of the adults. Because the kid, when the kid makes a prayer, and she says, Baruch Ata Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Sha'akol Niyamidvaro, that everything was made from you, know, from you, she actually has kavanah when she says it. When she says, I wish that the Mashiach will come because of you, she really means it. When she says, I want you to become a Kiruv Rabbi, she says, I really wish you became a Kiruv Rabbi. Us, even when we say thank you to Hashem, we don't always 100% mean it. Because we're too busy thinking about the next request. There's a lot to learn from this little girl. The little girl is Rabbi Ephraim's daughter. And the shiur that we did together today, we posted this letter as the, uh, both sides of it, as the uh, thumbnail for, for, for the actual shiur in Hebrew. But for anyone that wants a copy of this letter, to me, this is as good as a Sefer Torah. Why? This is to teach you the purity of a kid until we ruin them. Meaning the kid naturally thinks like this. This is what the kid thinks like. There's no sinat chinam on kids. Kids don't care if you're black or white or green or yellow or you're from a litai or you're this way. No, no kid in the world thinks like that. No kid has any sinat chinam. No kid in the world thinks evil. No kid in the world wants to do evil. What does the kid want to do? The kid wants to do what Abba does. The kid wants to do what Ima does. If they see Ima and Abba acting like criminals, they want to be criminals. If they see Ima and Abba acting like Tzadikim, they want to be Tzadikim. Simple. If you see, the Gemara says, if you see a kid cursing, you see a child cursing, you should know it's either his mother or his father cursing. The kid doesn't curse by himself. Even if he heard other people do it. They only allow themselves to do it also after they heard Abba and Ima do it. Even if it's only one time. When someone calls the house and the kid answers the phone and Abba says, I'm not home. Tell them I'm not home. All the Abba did is, is teach the kid that it's okay to lie. One time a person wanted to act like a hero in Beknesset, and when he saw his son's talk in Beknesset, instead of telling him to be quiet, he just gave him a nice chapcha to the face. Nice slap to the face. The kid was quiet for sure after that. But the rabbi wasn't. I believe it was the Chafetz Chaim came up to him and he says, all you did is teach your son that it's okay to hit people. You didn't teach him not to talk in Meknesset. All you taught him is that it's okay to be violent. 
There's a time and a place to discipline your kids and there's a way to discipline. But to hurt your kid in public because of something like speaking out in the Bikneset, obviously it's not the right way. Obviously you're teaching your kid the wrong thing. But how many rabbis will actually have the zealousness of the Chafetz Chaim, the zealousness of the Chatam Sofer, the zealousness of the Tzadikim from previous generation to go tell somebody, don't hate your kid. One time a poor woman from uh, Brooklyn contacts me. She says her wife, her uh, husband, her husband uses her like a punching bag. Every time he's upset, he decides to take out all of his anger on her. And he literally punches her like a punching bag. I said, divorce him. Not that we're advocates of divorce, but divorce the guy. A person like that is a criminal. Now let the count him in Minyan, you have to put him on Chirim. So they can't have eight kids with him. I said, okay, you have eight kids with him, so at least why don't you go to the rabbi? She says, I did. I said, so what happened? The rabbi told him that I came to him, so he hit me even more. The rabbi, what, why, why would he hit you more after the rabbi told him? Then the rabbi rebuke him? She says, no. The rabbi told him, your wife is saying Lashon about you. You understand what kind of evil exists in the world? You can't just assume, oh, rabbi, rabbi, shmabai, shmabai. You can't assume anything, Rabbi. You can't assume anything, anything. The Gemara Masechet Sukkah, page 56b, says that a kid curses. You see a kid curses? It's because his parents are cursing. So here we see that already at the time that we learn Gemara, we can't be the same selves that we started. You can't be the same person that started. You have to already have the ability to think, the ability to delve things, to start figuring things out. Once you get to Ben Shmonaisre, 18 years old, the Mishnah says an 18 year old goes to a marriage canopy, goes to the chupa. Why? Rabbi Akiva Eagle says that a person, a man should get married at the beginning of his 18th year. Meaning that all of these 20, 25, and 30, and 40 year old guys that are out there still looking for the one, obviously they're making a serious mistake. The problem is when you get married too late is that first and foremost you allow yourself to make more sins. Either by yourself or with other people. Either way, you're committing murder in the millions every single day with wasting seed. And you're making your tshuva more and more difficult to make. Sometimes a person, by the time he's 30 years old, he made the sins of a, of a 500-year-old. He finally gets married to the, the one and only, only to divorce her a year later because she found out that he's already used baggage. He's already been around that nothing's ever good enough for him anymore. Mm-hmm. 
guys think that they're doing themselves a service, but the reality is that if you look at our parents, you look at our grandparents, they didn't get married at 40. They didn't get married at 30. They got married at 18. They got married even sometimes much earlier. I know my grandparents, I think, but they got married also like 17, 18, even earlier possibly. I know some grandparents in the, uh, in the Middle East got married at 13 years old. As soon as the guy's a man, he got married. Why wait? All of these kids like, no, no, I, I want to get married after I have more money. You don't need money to get married. All you need is a rabbi and a couple of witnesses. That's all you need. The money is because you want to be a show-off. That's all it is. The money is only because you want to show off, you want to spend $50,000 or more to feed other people for one night that are going to complain about everything anyway. The food's not good, the music's not good, the rabbi's not good, the groom is not good, the wife is not good, something's not good. No one's ever happy about anybody's wedding. And then most people that go to the wedding, they don't go to make the mitzvah of making the kalah or the, or the chatan happy. There's a mitzvah to make them happy. Why do they go to the wedding? Again, Allah Shalom used to say, people go to the wedding for three different reasons. One, they're bored. They want to go out. I haven't gone out in months. I want to go out. Honey, I want to go out. Oh, you know what? Honey, I'll take you out. Where are you taking me? Oh, we'll go to a wedding. Or, you know, I'm really hungry. Oh, you know what? Honey, let's go for a meal. I'll take you out for a meal. They want to go. They're hungry. They want to go eat. That's where they want to go out. What mitzvah is this? Not a mitzvah. There's no mitzvah of going to a wedding because you want to eat. There's no mitzvah of going to a wedding because you want to go out. It's not a mitzvah. The mitzvah is to make the kala and the, and the chatan happy. How many people actually succeed in this? But the kala and the, and the chatan, they're both suckers. Why? Because they feed all these strangers. They feed all these people, these strangers that are stealing flowers and, and silverware. Everybody comes there with empty pockets, but somehow everybody's pockets are ballooned. And, and everybody has a, 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 a dozen roses when they leave. Who told you to take the roses? Who told you to take the roses? Who told you to take the silverware or the plates? Only thing they didn't take is the table, but because it's too heavy. It's too heavy, they didn't take it. It was better off they didn't come, they just made sins. Then now they, they were criminals before, now they're thieves too. So you want to make money, you want to get married when you have a lot of money because you want to show off. You want to show off with the wedding that no one's going to appreciate anyway. And some of these fools borrow money, they don't even have a way to pay back just to have a fancy schmancy wedding and a divorce a year later or two years later. Do yourself a favor, have as simple of a wedding as you possibly can. Respectable. You can have a cake, you can have a rabbi, you can have a little music. You don't have to have a whole band. Have a CD player. Have some speakers. Trust me, it's the same thing. Have Kedusha. Most importantly, have Mechitza. Men and women don't dance together. Why? Because then Hashem doesn't come to that kind of wedding. A wedding where there's men and women dancing together, Hashem doesn't come to that wedding. The Sefer, Sefer Hasidim says, not only Hashem doesn't come to a wedding that has mixed dancing, Shadim come to the wedding. Each couple 
leaves with Shedim. Oh, they take Shedim with them. Because Shedim has to go somewhere. They came at the wedding. The sins were created. Giloy Arayot. People mix dancing. It's considered Giloy Arayot. So there's Shedim being created. So where are they going to go after? Where are they going to go to the movies? No, where they have to go somewhere. Where do they go? They go with them to the house. All of a sudden, the husband and the wife get into a fight. Oh, honey, how come you're mad at me? Oh, honey, how come you're mad at me? Oh, honey, how come you don't like me? Oh, honey, how come you want a divorce? Oh, honey, how come this and how come that? Oh, there's a deep demon. There's a demon over here. You just don't see him. He's influencing her. He's influencing him. All of a sudden, they went to a wedding just to get divorced. And who's at fault? The Chatan and Kala. Instead of getting a gift, the Gemara says, a gift of all gifts, that on the day of the Chupah, Hashem forgives all of their sins. Instead of forgiving all of their sins and they start like little babies, regardless of what they did before, now they have millions and millions of sins that every single person actually made in there. Every single couple that danced together, every single couple that saw, every single guy that saw the dancing and so on, every one of those sins also goes to the Chatan and Kala. Good luck in your marriage. Good luck, that's a good way to start. Nice left foot. Real big one. People have no idea what kind of torture they put themselves in. And it's, how Hashem, how come you did this to me? He didn't do it to you. You did it. You did it. Rabotai Karim, at Shmona Yisrael, you're supposed to get married. But he says, how come? Shmona Yisrael, not how come 18? He says, because after 18, it becomes more difficult. Becomes more difficult because the person starts making sins. A person starts going in a different direction in his life. In today's world, you tell somebody that's 18 years old to get married, like, what, are you crazy? I just graduated high school. The point is, Abutai, get married as early as you can. Already a few couples that were very young. Listen to me on this. They were both, a few of them, were young, in their early 20s. One, I think, was maybe 20, 19. Another one was 21. Another one was uh, 22, 23. A few different couples, Baruch Hashem. We had the merit to give them the right advice. They listened to it, and Baruch Hashem, today, every single one of them is happy with kids. Not just kids. Kids, anybody can have kids but happy with kids. One actually just sent me a picture two days ago. Baruch Hashem, they had their first daughter. So, being single is never something you should do by choice. You should never ever delay marriage. If you have an opportunity, you found somebody that's good, you found somebody that you're attracted to, you found somebody that you're connected to, don't delay it even by a day. Soon as possible. Don't be one of these people that, oh yeah, well, we're going to be engaged for the next two years. Until she finishes school. Until he finishes school, then we'll get married. The reality is that once a person allows such a big door of Yetzirah in, most likely they'll never get married, and even if they do, it's going to become very, very difficult. The other reason is that, that the... Uh, Machzon Vitri says why a person should get married at 18 is because you shouldn't get married before 18. Why not before 18? 
Because before 18, he's supposed to acquire as much Torah as possible. Not because he can't handle it. He can handle it before 18. There's no problem. But once he's married, he's not able to learn as much. Showing you exactly where the priorities are for Am Yisrael. Yes, you're obligated to get married. But you're obligated to know what it means to be married. You know, marriage, Rabbi again, Allah Shalom used to say, marriage is a beautiful thing. It's too bad it was given to children. Everyone knows to go to the rabbi to get married. Everyone knows to, to go to the uh, court to get married. But how many people know how to be married? How many people know how to give compliments to their wife? How to be generous with the compliments? How to be supportive even though it doesn't make sense? How to be supportive of the husband even though he just got fired? How to tell me he's a winner even though you know he's a loser? Even when you know he's a loser, he just lost the job, he lost the money, he lost the this, he lost the that, he made every mistake known to man, but you still call him a winner. How many people know how to do this? Most women are the first one to tell them, what are you going to do now? Now we don't have any money, you loser. Look what I married. Look what luck I have, I married you. She tells the kids about their marriage like she's telling them about her own funeral. Yeah, I married your father in 1969. Yeah, what could I do? What could I do? Like it's like a, like it's a, it's a sacrifice. Why? They don't know how to be married. A marriage is supposed to be the happiest thing in your life. If you're not happy, there's something wrong. I'm not saying it's supposed to be easy. Easy, it's definitely not. But happy it's supposed to be. You're only going to know how to be married if you have Torah in your life. Because if you have Torah in your life, that means you're going to follow what Torah says. Torah says you have to fix your midot. The number one reason of why divorces happen is what? No, name it. No. Would you watch the show already? I said it also? I didn't hear that one. Ego. It's not money, it's not uh, for intimacy, it's not for all the things that people naturally think, it's because of ego. He said something she didn't like, and he doesn't want to say I'm sorry. Why? His ego is too big to say I'm sorry. She said something and he didn't like, and she doesn't want to say I'm sorry. Why? He should say I'm sorry first. Why? He's the man, he should do this, he should do that. Constant. Constant. Constant problems based on ego. Once you're bent Torah, you know that in order to acquire Torah, you have to lose your ego. As long as you have your ego, you can never be a bent Torah. The Gemara says that a person that has a big ego, Loba Shamaimi. His Torah is not from Shamaim, it's from something else. It's not from heaven. He's a different Torah. He's the Bible. Not the Torah. Here's something else. It's not Torah Tashem. Ben Esrim. Ben Esrim Lirdof. A 20-year-old must pursuit. Uh, a 20-year-old begins pursuit. Now one of the commentaries says, yeah, pursuit what? Pursuit money. He's married now, already two years. 
He studied another couple of years with his wife, but now he's going to make a living. He's going to have kids. That's one commentary. But Rashi says no. Rashi says no, it's not money. Rashi says something very, very scary that most Jews don't know. You guys know because you've heard me say it before, but I'll remind you. Rashi says that at 20 years old, is begins the pursuit. What pursuit? They start pursuing him from heaven to start punishing him for all of the sins that he made before 20 years old. Because the Torah says, we don't punish in this world until 20 years old. So a lot of people just understood this Gemara and say, oh, so I can do whatever I want, free willy, anything I want until 20 years old. No, 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 my friend. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want until 20 years old. It just means you don't get punished in this world until 20 years old. But as far as the sins, specifically immorality, meaning wasting seed and the likes, that you get punished for even if you were 8 years old. The Zohar Kadosh says, wasting seed is the only sin in the Torah, regardless of what age. A person gets punished for it. And the punishment starts at 20 years old. Where is it derived from? The book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 29. When the spies came back and said, about the land of Israel, Hashem only punished those that were over 20 years old. So from there we know that punishment only starts at 20 years old. But then someone is going to tell you at some point, yeah, yeah, all this punishment is punishment. All this stuff, yeah, but it says in the Gemara Masechet, Rosh Hashanah, that uh, Genom is only 12 months. Genom is only 12 months, so, okay, so I'll have some fun for 70 years. And I'll get a little fire for 12 months, a little too much fire, but uh, 70 years of enjoyment is kind of worth it, no? First of all, you should read what the Ramban said, on the beginning of Sefer Yov, he said that 70 years of the life of Job, which was full of suffering, 70 years of it is not even the equivalent of a single hour in Gainom. If you read the book of Job, within the first page you do Tshuva. Within the second page you're Moshe Rabbeinu. So you shouldn't really say, oh yeah, what big deal, one year of punishment. You shouldn't say such stupid things. But I'm going to give you an atomic bomb. An atomic bomb that I don't think has ever been said in the English language until today. And the reason why is because in the English language, people run away from this truth. They run away from it so much, even though it's their own rabbis that said it. Because we don't like to listen to our rabbis. So in the, in the Zohar, Parashat Pekudeh, Page 263. When it talks about the punishment for the Rishayim being 12 months, the Ramak in Orayakal says, We learned in, in uh, Masechet Eduyot that Genom is 12 months. But what does it mean, Genom is 12 months? Genom is 12 months, is only the name of the place and not the time. It's a place called 12 months. 
but not it is 12 months. Not that the judgment is 12 months. That the Rishayim go to a place called 12 months. It's like saying they go to Gainom, they go to Ganeden, they go to, to Tahiti, they go to New York. It's a name of a place, not the length of a sentence, the Ramak says. Only fools think that Rishayim get punished for only 12 months. Because why? Because then everyone's going to be a Rasha. That Rabotai, all of these so-called Hasidim that want to tell you, no, 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 it's only 12 months, 12 months, 12 months, they haven't listened to their own rabbis. They haven't listened to their own rabbis. The last thing we'll finish here, uh, Moshe Al-Shachal says that this 20 years old, the word pursue, lirdof, it means that he has to pursue the Torah and mitzvot. Meaning, that even though he's obligated to fulfill the Torah and mitzvot already from the age of 13, he doesn't really know what it means. He's just doing it because somebody told him what to do. Somebody told him to learn, so he learned. Somebody told him to daven, so he davened. Somebody told him to say Birkat Mazon, so he did Birkat Mazon. He doesn't actually have, usually, such huge kavana, unless he's got a really good teacher, and he himself has a very pure neshama. He says, but at 20 years old, no more excuses. Now every prayer has to have kavana. Now every time you have to know what you're doing. Why? Now each time you don't do it, you have a problem. So even though you got away with not having the biggest kavanah in the world for a while, the reality is that at this point you have all the tools necessary. You have the chumash, you have the mishnah, you have the gemara. You're now fully equipped to pursue your godly path. You're now considered mature spiritually. And you have to start developing it and you have to start pursuing the mitzvot like you pursue treasure. And when a person pursues the mitzvot like they pursue treasure, life becomes amazing. Life becomes amazing. And the reason why is because the person now is going to teach himself and also his wife and his kids and everyone around him, Ritzon Hashem. And once a person learns Ritzon Hashem, once he learns the will of Hashem, his kids are going to learn it. And then one day, Bezal Hashem, at eight years old, they're going to say to him, Abba, I just wrote this card and uh, to, to our uncle. I want to give it to him. I want him to bring the Mashiach. I want him to find a Kala. I want him to build Bet Mikdash. Now I don't want him to be a Power Ranger. Now I don't want him to have a brand new Lego set. Now I hope he gets uh, cereal for breakfast next week from Captain Crunch. But I want him to bring Mashiach. I want him to be happy. And so on and so forth. The benefits of a family of Torah is in this world, Rabotai. Heaven is just a bonus. That's why Antigonos Isocho told us already at the beginning of the Mishnah, serve Hashem as if there's no reward. Why? When you do it that way, when you serve Hashem as if there's no reward, you already start getting the, your, your reward here, in this world. You have righteous daughters, righteous sons, you don't have to worry about drug problems. You don't have to worry about prostitution, immodesty, ben soreru more, 
all the God nefesh of this world, you don't have to worry about it. What about the families that had kids that were addicted to drugs, addicted to this, addicted to that? Of course, there's an exception to every case. But it's not the norm. It's not the norm for someone that is seriously frum and teaches Yirat Shamayim to be addicted to anything. Why? He's too scared to be addicted to anything but Hashem. Usually you'll see the drug addictions and the immodesty and the off-the-derech type of mentality in a place where there's something went wrong with the education. Something went wrong with the parenting. Something went wrong somewhere. Why would a kid at 15 years old choose to go against his parents? Choose to go against God? Why? What benefit do they have? They don't even know what they want yet. At 15 years old, you don't know anything. You think you know everything, but in reality, you don't know anything. What exposed, what, what showed him, what, where did he get this desire from? To want to wear jeans, to want to uh, wear mini skirts, to want to be promiscuous. Why? Where did he get this, where did he get this idea? He usually got the idea from Abba and Ima or the teacher, or the neighborhood, or the cousin, or the, somebody that came to the house on a regular basis. Something went wrong. A kid naturally is good. A kid naturally is pure. A kid naturally can be Meshichai. David HaMelech says, don't hurt. Hashem told me, don't hurt Meshichai or Nevi'ai. Don't hurt my Messiahs or my prophets. So the Torah says, wait a minute. Don't hurt the Mashiach and the prophets. What are you talking about? The Mashiach is a prophet. No, the Gemara says. The Gemara says that actually when Hashem is talking about Meshichai, He's talking about the Tinokot Bet Rabban. He's talking about the babies. He's talking about the little kids that are learning Torah simply because somebody told them. That's it. Not because they know what it means and who and what and when. They don't know anything. Abba said learn Mishnah, they learn Mishnah. Abba says learn this, they learn this. Ima says learn this, they learn this. You teach your kids that way, you're going to have beautiful kids that are going to actually thank you for eternity. Thank you for eternity. But if not, Hashem Yachem. Any questions? What does that mean? I wish. The question is, what do I think? Oh, better yet, what does the Torah think about this American custom of a first dance and a wedding when the bride and groom dance in public? What I think is irrelevant because my thoughts are meaningless. What Torah thinks is that it's Gilu Yarayot. It's better off that they both, the bride and the groom, died before they started dancing. Same thing that it's better off that the parents died instead of sending their kids to public school. Same thing. 
Torah is very, very critical of going against Hashem in public with such things. So when you send your kid to public school, it's like sending him to the gleams, like sending him to the Christian missionary and says, go, have your fun with him. Hey, Mr. Pope, go, here's my eight-year-old. Good luck. To dance in public in front of other people, not only are they disobeying the Shulchan Aruch that says you're not allowed to show chiba in, to your wife in public, but they're actually doing an intimate action. Dancing is considered intimacy. Every single guy that's in that wedding is going to imagine them having relations. And now they actually are becoming, on their first day of marriage, violators of Gilui Arayot. Violators of Gilui Arayot and Machti Arabim. They caused everybody to sin. Every one of these guys is going to sin because of the woman. Hashem Yechem, what's going to happen to her? Hashem Yechem, what's going to happen to her? They don't understand what's going to happen to her. She doesn't understand what kind of punishment she's going to get in Shemaim. She's going to regret the day she was born. But I wish that what you said is the worst thing. I wish. Unfortunately, there are such low level of Yirat Shemaim in certain orthodox, so-called orthodox communities in the world today that some of the things that you hear don't make sense. You have to hear. It's like one of those things like, say that again? You know that, that you know you see something and it's kind of weird so you have that double look. You know, sometimes you hear something and it doesn't make any sense. You, wait, wait can, can you say that again? Wait, are you sure? Did you make that up? Are you sure? I'm going to tell you something, Abutai, to just explain to you how far we are from the truth. It breaks my heart to tell you, but this, is, this has to be said. Just like I told you that there's a teacher, a former teacher, Rasha'am al-Ushait, that desecrated Hashem's name in public and destroyed the life of 74 little girls. That didn't just, that's not a one-time thing. It didn't come out of nowhere. If you look at the picture of this evil woman, she looks more religious than any Rabbanit in the world. So how does something so disgusting happen? How does something so evil happen? How does it come from somebody that looks like that? That's because people have turned Judaism into a cult. They've turned Judaism into something that's based on exterior. And not interior. The exterior, we could look like Rabbi Akiva and Rachel and Sarah Imenu and everyone in some places, but still be Haman inside. Still be Korach. Still be uh, Izevil. Still be Reshaim inside. Still be a faker. And that's why in France today, it's still a very well-known, common, acceptable, behavior for orthodox women I'm not talking about chilonim orthodox Jewish women considered charidim by anybody else's standards they walk around with kisui rosh they walk around with a mitpachat or a wig they walk around covered head to toe we're not saying people that are putzot we're not saying people that worship idols we're not even mentioning the avodah zarah that's on their head I'm not talking about that I'm talking about people Walk around, Charidim. Charidim in the streets. Charidim in the schools. Charidim in modest at home. But they wear a bikini to the beach. 
mixed with men. They go to the go, with, to the beach with the goyim. To with the goyim, the rabbanit, the rabbaniot, the rabbaniot go to the beach wearing bikinis, with the kisurosh on though, with the wig. One woman moved to Israel from France and she wanted to go to the beach in Israel. She came, Rabbanit, the whole Darth Vader. But then she wanted to become Pokemon. No clothes. But the Kisurosh on. She had the, 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 the wig on. A secular person saw it, it's tidbayshilach, disgusting, gone nefesh. What, what, me, what, what, what did I do? What? Because tidbayshilach, disgusting, what are you doing? You're religious, you're this. She goes, what? It's the beach. It's the beach. What's wrong? He says, what do you mean what's wrong? What do you mean what's wrong? You're religious. We're secular. We're here. It's the way we live. Why are you here? She goes, why? This is what we do in France. <laughs> she honestly did not know what was wrong. Why? Because the outside looks good. Inside, run tomatoes. Round potatoes. You know how smelly a round potato is? Unfortunately, Rabotai, sometimes in the Orthodox world, we need to do more tshuva than the, than the secular world. Don't think that just because somebody is Orthodox, Orthodox means nothing. What's inside? What's inside? Is it gold or is it copper? With just a coating of gold. Yes. Story is not the same as a film that you're referring to, but I've seen in some African weddings where they have some kind of rope and they dance around. It's different. It's different. It's not dancing. It's the male dancing, uh, trying to show uh, the the. To show uh, as if the woman, the, the kala, became a part of the family, but the woman doesn't dance. It's just the man dances. And that's an accept, acceptable minag in the Hasidut world. The man is dancing. It's still, according to most uh, outside of the Hasidut world, it's still not considered modest. It's still not considered something that's acceptable because a woman should never be the center of attention. But there Rabbeim believe that it's okay and it's again like you said it's not the same thing it's not the woman dancing it's not the woman touching anyone uh, it's a very very different mean uh, I would never do it or ever recommend it but um, they have something to rely on they have some big rabbis that say it's allowed where uh, the uh, the head rabbi or the father or so on grabs this string and uh, it's a really long one and so on but uh, again a woman is not allowed to even be a witness in Judaism. And part of the reason is because we don't want her to be the center of attention. It's for the purpose of protecting our honor. You know, foolish women think that the Torah is sexist. That's because they don't realize that the Torah is trying to protect the honor of the woman because the woman is considered a princess. 
any woman that wants to be like a guy doesn't realize that a princess doesn't want to be like a guy. A princess wants to be a princess. The daughter of God wants to remain a daughter. She doesn't want to be the son. Anyone that wants to be the son has some, some problems in their head. Why would you want to not be the princess? It's the best job in the world. And that's the problem. Today we are trying to exchange roles. The women want to be men, the men want to be women. The kids want to be adults, the adults want to be kids. Nobody knows what. They, nobody knows anything. Everything is ups, upside down. That's why we have to stick to the Torah as close as possible because we're upside down. I'm telling you, when I hear these stories about literally religious people doing what they're doing, non-religious people doing what they're doing, it's awful, it breaks your heart, but then you read a beautiful letter like this from an eight-year-old and you say, you know what, that's why the Mashiach is going to come because of the eight-year-olds. That's why he's going to come because of the two-year-olds. Why? Because the rest of us, Shem hopefully we make it. Hopefully we make it out of, the, out, of the, out of this neighborhood alive. Hopefully we make it out of this world alive. Why? Because we're killing ourselves. It's not even Hashem sending us to Gainom. It's we're building our own Gainom with our stupidity. The guy wonders, why is his wife cheating on him? Oh, maybe because you let her go to the beach and she ended up meeting the, 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 uh, the, the, what is it, the lifeguard and she liked him. One woman in Israel, she was with the Kisurosh. With the Kisurosh, she's wearing a bikini talking to the lifeguard. But the wind came and moved the Kisurosh so that she fixed it. Oh, I'm telling you, somebody, somebody said the story. It's not a, it's not a joke. Says so she's fixing, so don't see the hair. She has a kisurosh, don't see the hair. But the fact that she's completely naked wearing a bra and panties, no, that's okay. Because it's called a bikini. Because it's the beach. Because that's what we do in France. Stupidity. Mama, it's like no one thinks anymore. No one, like, everybody, everybody, instead of a brain, they have a little mouse. They have a little gerbil on a, on a, on a, on a thing, and it keeps going, it gets tired once in a while, it goes to sleep. No one thinks for a second, like, what do you mean? Like, why would you ever think you're allowed to go to the beach? A mixed beach? You're not even allowed to walk to the mixed beach, even with clothes on. Who think? Who says things like this? But you know why they think this? Because their rabbis are there with them. The rabbanit is there with them. Because she wants to be cool. She wants to be liked. She wants also a new house. So, Rabbi it all starts from the top. The fish smells from the top. Rotten fish starts smelling from the top, from the head. We have, unfortunately, a lot of bad leaders and a lot of good leaders. We have to choose wisely. Yes? There, there is a, a famous story, I think I heard from you, exactly in a few other places, about a couple that, um, that was expecting a child, and then they went to a rabbi, a very big rabbi, to, to learn how, you know, to, to raise how to raise them, yes. Yeah. And he told them they were too late. Kid. And, um, and on the same subject, uh, I believe there's a, there's a French author that says that the education of a child begins 20 years before, you know, they are born. Kid. You need to be a certain age to have, to acquire all this wisdom before you can get a child. Now, we, the sages have said that by about 18 years old, you know, someone should get married. And in our generation, they are 20 years old that barely, you know, that's... 35-year-olds don't know anything. 35-year-olds still playing video games. So, is it really... Does, no, does that's why I said in the yeah. beginning. That's why I said in the beginning. In today's world, 
We don't hold to all of this verbatim, meaning word for word. We try to keep as close to it as possible, but not word for word. And part of the reason is because of, like you said, if a person lived in a secular world most, most of his life, this Mishnah is not relevant to him as far as the ages. It's only relevant to him as far as the path. Path is learn Chumash, learn Mishnah, learn Gemara, get yourself married, build wisdom, and so on and so forth. That's the path. The ages are not relevant to him. It's just the path itself. If the person lived in a serious Torah life, then they can keep by this. They can. Uh, I know that Rav Shach, when, uh, when he heard that uh, certain yeshivot weren't going by this, he was very, very uh, against it. He said you should go exactly like it says. So if you're living a life full of Torah and your kids grow up in your house from the day they're born, you're already religious, you're already serious, you should try to keep to this as much as possible. Even if the school doesn't, you should teach them. Obviously, easier said than done, but that's the point. You have to invest time and, and efforts into your kids. Um, but uh, as far as uh, getting married, a, per, a male uh, uh, today is very different than the male of yesterday. Put it this way. When I was a kid, five years old, I would already be able to go to the store. My mom would send me to the store, to the deli, to go do grocery shopping. I was five years old. Go, get milk, get cookies, get uh, you know eggs, get this, get that. Me, you know, carrying these bags that were bigger than me, but I walked a mile and a half, two miles, maybe more, I don't know, it seemed like it was the whole world, uh, and uh, carry these really heavy bags and come home with the little bags. Now... To send our kids to the playground at five years old by themselves, you may get arrested and go to jail. So being, uh, abandoning your kids, not, the world is different. Why? There's also a lot more sick people today. You can't even, you can't trust anyone. Same thing also with adults. Kids today, if you don't teach them Torah, 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 what are they going to learn? Something else. Video games, sports, shtuyot, girls, boys, girl's 16 years old, she wants a boyfriend. The, the guy is 16 years old, he also wants a boyfriend. Everybody wants a boyfriend. The reality is, Rabotai, if you don't teach them Torah, what do you have left? You have garbage left. A 16-year-old wrote a suicide note 25 years ago. Aravi again read it the day after he died. It was in the paper. In Israel. He says, what happened? The kid wrote a, a letter to his parents who were very, very successful. The father worked non-stop. The mother worked non-stop. And the kid had everything he wanted. House, size of a castle, anything and everything he wanted. Rich kid. Killed himself. Why? He told his parents, what's the point of life? So I have money? You already have it. I don't need to work. Get work? I don't need to work. There's fun money. What's the point? To eat? So I go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom so I could eat. But what's the point? There's no point to life. I can't live anymore. He killed himself. When you don't have a God, you don't have a purpose. When you don't have Torah, you don't have life. You don't have happiness. You don't have anything. It's very easy to kill yourself. Only people that kill themselves are people that don't have God. You're never going to see huge tzaddik Kills himself for no reason. Never. In the history of mankind. Never. 
A martyr maybe for Am Yisrael. Sure. It's not killing himself. That's, uh, that's sacrificing himself. But jumping off a bridge because he's sick, jumping off a bridge because his wife left him, jumping off a bridge because the kid's this or the kid's not, you don't hear that. It's, it doesn't happen. Why? He has a shem, he has everything. So, a person that lives with Torah has to do everything as possible to stay as close to it as possible. So when he's a, 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 a man, he has to get married as soon as possible. There's no age. ASAP. As soon as you find a woman that's willing to tolerate you, get married. 18, 19, 20, 25, 90. A man is not allowed to be by himself. Why? No tov, no good. No good, Hashem says. Already in Seven Bella Street, no good. Man, even if your wife, Hashem, you already lived a life, 70 years old already. Your wife passed before you. You have to get married again. Why? Not good for you to be by yourself. Not good to be by yourself. You need a companion. So a guy needs to find somebody that's willing to tolerate him, willing to help him, willing to be with him, and get married. No, the whole dating until, you know, for 900 years... You're ruining each other. Any couple that acts like they're married before they're married, within regards to intimacy, within regards to living, and so on, Arav Vigdo Miller says, don't even talk to them. He said, why? Shouldn't we help them do tshuva? He says, if they live together already before they're married, don't even talk to them, don't associate with them, don't be friends with them. Nothing. And the, the Talmudim says, why? Kvodarav, aren't we obligated to do Kiruv? He says, Kiruv you're obligated to do. But Kiruv is with people. People that live together without being married are animals. Why? He says, because they're not even willing to comply with the civil law. Forget the Torah. Put the Torah on the side for a second. You have to get married, bring kids, this, that. No, no, put that aside. Just to be a civilized human being. Civilized person amongst society, it's unacceptable for people to live together without being married. You're already living without being married. You're not people. You're animals. Unfortunately, today, sometimes you find this in the Orthodox world. Why? Because no one says anything. No one says anything. Yeah, but they really like each other. And eventually they're going to get married after he finishes school. After she finishes school. School, school, school. Every single second he touches her, it's a sin. She's, she's tmeah. She's nida. Every single second it's isur karet. By the time he arrived, by the time he finishes school, he has 60,000 isur karet. He's lucky if he makes it out alive that first year of marriage. That's why the, the, the Chachamim made a celebration at the age of 60. What's Isur Karet? Isur Karet, Rabotai, is when a person, Hashem decides, if He decides to punish him in this world, that means he's not going to live 60 years. Or his kids are not going to live 60 years, Barminan. So when you see a person already past the age of 60, that means that Hashem decided not to punish him for his Karet sins in this world. He should celebrate. 
But if you see somebody dying at 25, 35, 45, that's because of Isur Karet. It's not a coincidence. It's not a mikre. It's Isur Karet. He made a Karet sin. A lot of these kids, they date, they touch, they this, they that. They think it's fine. The parents think it's fine. They invite the girl for dinner, for Shabbos. They invite the, the guy for dinner, for Shabbos, so he can sleep over. And everybody's boyfriend and girlfriend. And everyone pretends like they're not really intimate. And everyone pretends like it's all okay. And then they're doing Isu Karet. And then everyone's surprised that they can't have kids. They get surprised that one of them dies. They get surprised that somebody gets cancer. People get surprised. But it's all in the Torah. It's all the Torah. This is not chash v'shalom, wishing people bad. This is protecting you from evil. The evil that's inside us. People that go against things that we're saying are just simply going in against the Torah. Oh, so negative. Oh, so pessimistic. Why are you wishing bad? Who's wishing bad? I'm trying to warn you. There's a train coming straight at your face. No one else is telling you something, so I have to do it. If somebody else did it, I wouldn't be here. So that's, that's the thing, Rabotai, you have to understand that the gift of Torah is a benefit in this world. Gan Eden is a, is, is a plus, is a bonus. Because in the world we live in today, it's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult world. Very difficult to have decent kids that respect you past their teenage years, past even 10 years old. Very difficult to have Marriage lasts past, you know, 10 years. It's very difficult. Why? Everything is going against you. Torah is the only thing that's going to save us. So for all of these women that have made the sin of being intimate with men before they're married, for all the men that were intimate before they're married, for all the people that sinned against Hashem, any sin you did, right now, today, today is the time to start doing tshuva, by starting to put a fence around the fence. First of all, if you're a woman, don't let anyone touch you other than your husband. Nothing. No shaking hands, no hugs, no nothing. Nothing. Yeah, but it's weird. It's better to be weird than to be in Gainom. Two, don't give them a reason to stare at you by wearing Imadis clothes. Imadisti doesn't only mean clothes that show your skin. Sometimes there are certain women that wear clothes that are very, very, they cover everything, that is so-called Rabbanit, that live next to our house, maybe about a mile, two miles away from us. She's so-called Rabbanit. I had the Kaparat Avonot to see it twice in my life. Both times I suffered for at least a week. Why? She decided to cover herself. She covers, she covers to here, she covers to, the, to everything, covered. But she wears slinky clothes. Meaning it's like a second layer of skin, just a different color. So instead of her looking like a human being, she looks like a snake. She sounds like one too. But the point is, Rabotai, is that modesty doesn't only come just because you cover your skin. Modesty is also, the clothes is loose-fitting, it covers... And most importantly, your behavior. Your behavior. You're not flirtatious. You're not trying to hint 
There's no winking. There's no eyeing. There's no overlapping. There's no screaming. There's no yelling. Calm, reserved, collected, like this little eight-year-old. This is an eight-year-old. And don't waste your time having guy friends. You're not allowed to have platonic relationships. It's never allowed. People make a big deal. Oh, I'm now Shomer Nagia. What do you want, a cookie? It's like somebody says, oh, I'm not driving on Shabbat anymore. Ashrecha, good for you. You don't want to get Hashem to kill you. Good for you. What do you want me to do exactly? Kapala, you know, it's good for you. What do you want? You're supposed to do it. Yes, I say chazaku to every Baal Tshuva, and I love every Baal Tshuva, and it makes me excited. But don't make it seem like you did something special for God. You're supposed to do it. You're supposed to be modest. You're supposed to. Why? Because you get a benefit. You could have a daughter that says, Shemit uh, Barach, it's going to build the Bet Mikdash, Mashiach is going to come. That's what you get. But if you walk around with slinky clothes, you walk around with no kisui rosh, you go to the beach, you go to the public school, you do all the other things, what are you getting out of it anyway? That's why the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh says it's much more difficult to go to Gainom. Why? Because the road to Gainom is full of mistakes. Aren't you going to notice along the way? Enough's enough. The first daughter doesn't want to listen to you anymore. Shouldn't you already do tshuva already? The second kid doesn't want to listen to you. Don't you realize you need to do tshuva? Your wife doesn't want to listen to you. Don't you think you should do tshuva? A person realizes if he's going in the right direction, the world listens to him. Why? The Gemara says it. The Gemara says, someone has Yirat Shemaim, people listen to him. Someone doesn't have Yirat Shemaim, no one listens to him. So Bezal Hashem, this year will give us a little bit of chizuk. A little bit of chizuk to get us through the day, through the week, inspired through the year. To have kids like this, that are holy of holies, to teach them, to teach ourselves, it's not easy. But it's much, much easier than the opposite side. It's much easier than dealing with the consequences of the other side. Much easier. So, Bezal Hashem, this gives a lot of success. We continue to publicize a lot more Torah to Am Yisrael. Get Am Yisrael to do tshuva. Get Am Yisrael to realize there's no free ticket. There's no free ticket, but there is a lot of hope. There's, there's a lot of expectation from Hashem Yitbarach. He loves us, but He wants to discipline us. He wants us to win. And the only way for us to win is by listening to Him. It's the only way. Uh, on Sunday, just so you know, just as a... Uh, FYI, Sunday, Bezat Hashem, will have a shiur in Hollywood. I believe it's going to be in Hollywood. But then Monday and Tuesday and uh, Wednesday, no shiurs. I'm going to be away uh, in New York, but you'll be able to watch things online. On uh, Monday, there's two shiurs uh, back-to-back. Uh, so you want to watch Facebook Live, you'll be able to watch Facebook Live, or you can watch uh, on the app or uh, the website the next day, or YouTube the next day. Uh, and Tuesday is also another event, but it's uh, going to be a very short uh, speech. I'm not sure if we'll be able to record it or if it's going to be live or not, but Bezat Hashem will try our best. Um, but other than that, there are Bo Hashem at this point, somewhere close to uh, five or 600 shiurim online that I have of my own, and then another uh, 700 plus shiurim of Rabbi Ephraim. 
Baruch Hashem. So, never ever run out of Torah. There's an enormous amount of Torah, Baruch Hashem. Most of the Shurim, we try really hard to make sure it's new, it's brand new, even though sometimes we repeat the same story, it's not common. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of Torah. There's a lot of Torah for you guys to learn. Also, during the, the holidays, the holidays this year, a lot of them fall on the Monday and Tuesday. So a lot of our Tuesday shiurim, our main shiur, is going to skip a couple of weeks. I'm going to try to see if we can reschedule it to a Sunday or to a Monday or to a Thursday. We also have some other shiurim planned in, uh, in the community on Thursdays and Mondays. So, of course, there's going to be a lot more updates to come. But uh, either way, there's a uh, big order of CDs coming very soon, Bezad Hashem. Another uh, 50,000 CDs of uh, uh, the next brand new CDs, Bezad Hashem. We just actually published uh, Rabbi Frame's CD number two. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is, is that 80% of it is already taken. 80% of it is already gone. So there's only a couple thousand left. Um, which actually also gone next. Now that I think about it, almost all of it is gone. And we're going to have to print more. The app is going to have an update in the next week. We came out with a new movie today, new uh, film today about Mikveh Tarat Mishpacha. This is for both men and women to understand. And we made sure to have, that it has uh, English subtitles. So, very, very good film. A lot of chizuk. Actually, after I saw it, I wanted to go to the Mikveh. Uh, and uh, last but not least, there's another uh, couple of films coming out in English. We're waiting for some copyright stuff to go through, but there's a couple that are already ready. So, a lot of really good things. Amen.